theyeshiva.net. The second paragraph on Memdalad Amid Beis, page 87, Ubechol Hanal Yuvon. Ubechol Haniskelel, Ubechol Hanal, with everything that's been discussed, Yuvon V'yivur will understand, will be understood, and will be explained, Mashakosov B'lekutei Ashas Meharizah. A, a, a passage from a sefer called Lekutei Hashas by the Arizal. The Arizal, Roshetevus Arizal is Adoneinu Rabbeinu Yitzchak Zechreinu Levracha. The Arizal's name was Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbeinu Yitzchak Luria. That's why his Kabbalah, they call Lurianic Kabbalah, because his name was Rabbi Yitzchak Luria. And he's known as the Arizal, Adoneinu Rabbeinu Yitzchak Zechreinu Levracha. His last name was Rabbi Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi. Now, the Arizal has many svarim transcribed by his students, primarily Reb Chaim Vitala. One of them is called Lekutei Hashas. Lekutei Hashas are short explanations on various pieces of various Gemaras. Like the Derech of the Arizal, most of it is pure Kabbalah, an extremely abstract, Kabbalistic, and enigmatic language. In Lekutei Hashas on Arizal, the Mesech Sanhedrin, there's a story in the Gemara that he's going to discuss now this story. And Darizal has a passage. When you read the passage of Darizal, though, it's extremely cryptic. That's what he says. Based on all of this, we'll be able to understand what Darizal says in that passage. For this, we have to know what the Gemara is. So he starts off. Explaining the Chazal, the, the statement of our sages in Chelek. Chelek, of course, is the 11th chapter of Masech Sanhedrin, called Perik Chelek, because it begins with the Mishnah called Yisrael Yeshlam. Chelik Lamabas, it's called Perik Chelik, and this Gemara happens to be Sanhedrin of Kuf Beis Amiral, Soif Amiral. Let me read the whole Gemara because here he assumes that uh, everybody knows the Gemara, so he doesn't get into all the details. So I'm going to read to you the Gemara. For this, you have to remember the story I mentioned. After Shleimah Melech, the first king of Malchi Yehuda is David who takes over after Shaul. Shaul loses his kingship. Shaul comes from Binyamin. David becomes the king, and when he passes away, Shlomo takes over. Shlomo passes away, Rechavim takes over. This was a unified kingdom. Shlomo HaMelech united all of the Jewish people. He expanded out Yisrael significantly, and he made tremendous alliances with many of the leaders of his day. As the Tanakh describes, that Shlomo was an extraordinary leader to the point that he was named Shlomo because Shalom Yiyah Biyama was a time of peace and prosperity, and it was a unique moment of Jewish history. The, the, the Tanakh says, Everybody under his vine and under his fig tree. The moon is complete. It's the 15th day of the month, symbolically, in the sense that the Jewish people compared to the moon are in a very, relatively speaking, an extremely wholesome state. And he builds the Beis Hamikdash. He's the first man who creates the epicenter for the Shechina in the midst of earth. He has a place for God, a place for the Aaron, a place for Kaddish HaKadoshim. The Mokim HaShayifcher HaShem, L'Shak and Shmoy Shem, that was always in transient, it was always, uh, it was always uh, in transition. Finally, Zeus Menuchasi, Adeyat, Poy Eishaki, Vesir, the whole capital in Tehillim. I'm not going to go to sleep till I find a place. And Shleim HaMelech is the one who gets it done. So it's a unique moment in Jewish history. To the point the Gemara says that when Shleim HaMelech built the first Beis HaMikdash and he dedicated it, it was the only time, first and last time in Jewish history, that they ate on Yom Kippur. They ate on Yom Kippur. He felt that the Simcha deserves to transcend and suspend the halachas of Yom Kippur in terms of eating and drinking. It was one Yom Kippur that 
they ate. Now, what happens is, Shlomo passes away, Rechavim takes over. As the Tanakh describes in detail, there was a delegation that came to Rechavim and asked him to ease the taxes and generally change the M.O. of Shlomo. Instead of surrendering and accepting their offer and working with them, Rechavim stubbornly goes out against them. He crushes them. And that results in a political revolt that results in a split to the point that Yeravam becomes the new king in competition to Rechavam. Now, who is this man Yeravam ben Avot? That's going to be the discussion. Yeravam ben Avot was not a regular rabble-rouser. Yeravam ben Avot was not a regular troublemaker. He is the man that the Mishnah says in Perkeyavis, Chata vehechti yisarabim. He is the man that when the Chazal talk about those who have, don't have a chelik in Elam Haba, and that it's debated if he got his chelik, Yeravam ben Avot is one of these people. Yeravim ben Avot, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, dedicates a very significant amount of uh, space to Yeravim ben Avot. Yeravim ben Avot is considered the Godel Hadar. He's considered the greatest spiritual Torah giant of the generation. To the point that the Gemara in Sanhedrin describes at length how all of the Talmudic Chachamim, Lagabi Yeravim, were considered Ka'asve Hasada, like grass of the field. The Chidushi Torah that came out of his mouth, the Chazal say, nobody ever heard them before. They were unique in their brilliance and their depth. They were unprecedented. On the other hand, the same Yeravah ben Avot, when he became a king, he was afraid that the Jews are going to go to Yerushalayim and see the Melech of Beis David, especially that in the Beis Hamikdash, the only one who could sit is Melech of Beis David. So Yeravah ben Avot needed a way of stake, keep, keeping the Jews away from the Beis Hamikdash, and he erected two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel, not one Egel Azov, but two Egel Azov, and he created, instead of Sukkot, the holiday became Cheshvan. The place of worship became a whole new worship. And he is the man who resurrects Avodah Zorah in the land of Israel in a unique, original way like nobody before. So Yeravim ben Avot's downfall was from such a lofty status that it's not, he's not in the regular list of people who, uh, who made some trouble. Yeravim ben Avot is, is unique. And here we come to this Gemara in Sanhedrin Kuf Beis. The Gemara addresses a Pasuk in Melachim Aleph, Perik Yud Gimel. It says, Achar Advarim Ma'ela, I'm going to read to you the Gemara, Achar Advarim Ma'ela, I'm sorry, Achar Advar Hazeh, Layosh Layshav Yeravam Idarkei Hara. After this story, Yeravam still did not repent from his evil path. Frag the Gemara, my Achar Advar Hazeh. It doesn't say a story. Tell me a story. After this story, Yeravam didn't repent. It doesn't say a story. What's Achar Advar Hazeh? What happened? that he still didn't do tshuva. What happened? So Chazal record a tradition of Reb Abba. Reb Abba said, and I quote, After the Rebbeinah Shalolam grasped onto Yeravim by his cloak, and he says to him, Return, do tshuva, and listen to the deal. V'ani, v'ata, uben Yishai, netayel beganeidin. I, you, and the son of Yishai, meaning David HaMelech, will take a stroll in Ganeid. You do tshuva, me, you, and Ben Yishai take a stroll in Ganeid. Amar loy, Yeravim and Eva tells Hashem, mi b'roish. In the walk in paradise, who walks first? Me or David HaMelech? Amar loy, Hashem says, Ben Yishai b'roish. The son of Yishai walks first. 
He says, Ihachi loy be'ina. Thank you, but no thank you. If this is the setup, I don't want it. I don't want it. That's Pshat. Achar hadover hazelo yishavirava medarkirera. After this event, he still didn't do it. What's this event? That God Himself reveals Himself to Yerava and says, "Do tshuva." Haniva ato ben Yishen He rejects the offer blatantly, and he says, "I have my own life. Have a wonderful day." That's the story. The story is, of course, extremely enigmatic and extremely strange. God reveals Himself to Yerava; doesn't reveal Himself to every sinner especially a titanic sinner. Hashem reveals himself to Yeravim. But let's analyze the words now. Chazal were very meticulous and precise, even if the superficial student doesn't realize how precise and meticulous they were. So let's listen to the story. When Hashem tells Yeravim, do tshuva, and I have a deal for you, his words are, ani, ve'ata, uben yishai netayel beganeiden. Me, you and the son of Yishai will stroll in Ganeid. So he already said who goes first. Yeravim says, Mi Beresh. You just heard me, Beresh. It's you. Why asking? But he asks. Hashem could have said in the other order. He knows, he knows his order. He could have said, Ani, Uben Yishai, Va'ata Natabaganeid. Not what he says. It's Ani, Va'ato Ben Yishai. But Yeravim. Heard what Hashem said. Mibirosh. So what is it? He wants to know if God was, uh, <laughs> if there was a slip here, if it was a psa. Uh, what's what's the lashon? Uh, huh? Pleitas apeh. Pleitas apeh means you know you spit a word out of your mouth. He says mibirosh. So suddenly Hashem changes the order. Ben Yishai mibirosh. He didn't say that. Ihachi loy bein. What is going on? From here, the Ariza opens up a door to decipher the deeper layers of the story. But all the Ariza tells us is that uh, Yeravim is Yosef and Ben Yishai is David HaMelech. Yeravim comes from Ephraim, Ephraim is Yosef, and David HaMelech is Yehuda. And the question is, what's the place of Malchus? What is the place of Malchus? Ariza says, he says, Bechol Hanal! With all that we learned, we'll be able to understand the Gemara, we'll be able to understand this passage in Shas. I once met a Vizhnitzah Chassid, I was in Ireland, I met a Vizhnitzah Chassid there. So he told me, we were speaking about this Gemara, so he told me a vart, he said, Azay, that Chaim Shmulevich was the mirror of Shishiva. You learned by him quite a few years. He was a legendary Rosh Shiva, and he had a good sense of humor, and he was also a very emotional person. He was a very deep Balregish. So he was once talking about this Gemara. And he asked this question. So Chaim said, tongue in cheek, he said, I'll tell you the Pshat. He says, one of my students is getting married. So he invites me to be Masad Kedusha. So I'm standing over there by the Chuppah, sitting by the Chuppah. And the MC, the Master Manche, the Master of Ceremonies gets up. And he invites me to Masad Kedusha. But he doesn't just say my name. He does a whole Megillah of titles. Isma Mechabed, 
Shishiva, Godlador, Gon Oilam, Amud Hayamin, Patish Achoizik, Tzadik Yisoyd Oilam, Rabbin Shalkobne Agoyla, Amud Ha'oil, Butzinik, whatever, Allah, Mailas, Allah things. Gon, Hagodl, Sarah Toyrev, Achesed, Abchaim Shmulevich, to come do Siddiquidush. Abchaim says, You think I go? I don't go anywhere. Echvilas Her Nochamon. I don't go anywhere. I want to hear it again. They do it again. Then I go. So he says, "You rabbi menavot." He heard that he goes first. Just go to her Just want to hear it again. That's it. Me Just say it again. Just do it once more. The feeling of validation. The compliment feels so good. Yeah. And you'll see something in the conversations when you get a compliment, yeah, you ask a question so that the person will repeat it. Not in these words, these words, this happens very often. You know, not often does a compliment come your way, right? So once you get it, you cherish it. You want to hold it in a bottle like the Chalame, the Chachmichal did with the Levona. There was no Levona, so he had a barrel open at night with water. And when he saw the moon in the water, he sealed the battle so that tomorrow you could do Kiddush Levona. That's how compliments work as well. So therefore, you want to hear it again? So your Rav ben tells God, Mi b'raish. So the Rebbe Nishalaylam says, Atzveitem al-nisht. Once yet, not a second time. That was Reb Chaim Shmulevich's... Uh, Humorous comment to explain how people work when it comes to uh, honors and compliments and so forth. But now we get introduced into the deeper component of the story. Really, in this conversation and in this subtle exchange, you really have the whole story. Remember, Yeravim comes from Yosef. David, Ben Yishai, comes from Yehud. He's the first Melech of Yehud. He represents Malchus Yehud. That the royalty remains by him. A whole capital in Tehillim, capital Paytas, 89, dealing with this. Says the Maimer. And if yes, this story is mamish representation of everything we discussed. Hashem wanted Yiravim should return in tshuva and repentance. And then the state of consciousness of Yosef will shine through Yiravim. Pchines He will be worthy to that tree to that branch that Yecheskel speaks about in later generations, the tree of Ephraim, which represents the Melucha of Yosef, Yeruvim ben Nevot represents Yosef's Melucha, in other words, Melucha went back to Yosef, through Yeruvim. It went away from Shloimah's family, there was a split now. There's two Eitzim, there's the Eitz of Yehud and the Eitz of Ephraim, and he comes from Ephraim, Yeruvim ben Nevot was Shevet Ephraim. This is why he calls it Eitz Ephraim, he's referring to Yeruvim Yecheskel. Because he is supposed to be that second Melech, and he is. He represents the new dynasty, which begins with a king from Yosef Mephraim. 
וזהו, אני ואתו בן ישי נטייל בגן עדן, שיהיה מאיר בהם אין סוף ברוכו בעורר הבא. That's the meaning, let us stroll in Gan Eden. What does it mean to stroll with God in paradise? It means Shabbos, Nochen Cholent. Nochen Cholent, I was in Antwerp a few weeks ago, so when I was, came from the airport, they said, this is the Cholent Park. The whole city knows it as the Cholent Park. I said, what's Pshat Cholent Park? They said, for generations after Cholent, this is where Jews took a walk. So they came to be known in the city as the Cholent Park. So Shabbos after Cholent, Hashem says, we'll take a walk, we'll go around the lake, me, you, and Ben David. What's Pshat? He says, Natal Beganeidim means something. It means, It's symbolic. When you take a stroll, it's different when you're taking a walk because you have to get somewhere. The idea of Natal is a tainuk. It's a moment of delight, of ecstasy, of pleasure. So when he says, you and me and Ben Yisha will be Natal Beganeidim, it means... That in you there will be a tremendous oil, a tremendous revelation of Ein Saif of the infinite with a tremendous Ha'ararab. In other words, there will be an exclusive, intimate relationship that you, me, and Ben Yishai will have. So you will experience me, he will experience me, and will experience me in a state of pleasure and delight. Ganeidin, what does Ganeidin mean? Ganeidin is not a place. You take a rocket ship and you go a hundred billion light years away and you're going to land in Ganeidin. Ganeidin is a state of consciousness. When we say Ganeidin is a spiritual state, the Rambam writes in Hilchis Truva, Olam Haba doesn't mean it's a future world that doesn't exist now. Olam Haba means a world that sometimes people can only experience when their consciousness is in an elevated space. When they're in a body experience, they can't experience. That's what he says in Hilchis Truva. So Ganeidin is a state of consciousness. Like the Gemara says in Brachis Yud Zayin, there's a certain experience of the divine reality. You will have an experience, but not just an experience, in a unique, unique way, even you. Because Yosef, Yosef was, a, was, Yosef was, was a, a person who was very deeply in touch with the divine energy, and you will capture and reflect the gilui, the oir of Yosef, the eights of Ephraim. And this is the meaning when he says, This Ani, which refers to I, Hashem, this is going to be revealed in your life. Oh my Lord! Yeravim ben Avot heard that he comes first. He knew that. But he says, Mi b'roish. What's his question? This is a very deep question. Hu ratza haya achshav. He wants to make sure that forever the reality remains like it is today. Shabchines amadregis Yosef ulamaylam abchines Yehud. Yosef is superior to Yehud. Yosef is the king. Yehud is subservient to Yosef. Vayigash, I love Yehuda. Yosef is the Mashbebar. Yosef is the Melech. Everyone bows down to Yosef. Even Yehuda, in the dreams of Yosef, all the Alumois, all the sheaves bow down to Yosef. The sun and the moon and the eleven stars bow down to Yosef. Yosef is the Melech. Vaaviv Shomar es we say in Vayeshev. Yaakov kept on to the dream. He knew the brothers are jealous, but Yosef has to be the king. And that's what happens. They all come to Egypt and they bow down to him. Including Yehuda. 
Lekach Ratzu Hu Liyaz Beresh Lekabe David. So in the Yeravim and 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 Yeravim and and Rechavim and Yeravim and David, he wants to be Beresh. He wants Yosef is higher than Yehuda. But Hashem told them, In the state of the future of Lasid Lava, Yehuda becomes sublimated, and the Shoirish of Yehuda gets revealed where Yehuda is higher than Yosef. Hence, Ben Yishai comes out on the top. Ben Yishai comes first. If this is how it is, this I'm not interested in. Yeravim was not capable to the real ultimate experience of this type of bitl. If he's on the top, he'll do tshuva. If he's not on the top, if Yehuda's on the top, he won't do tshuva. That's what the Gemara says in Sanhedrin. He's not going to stay on the top. Right now he is. Right. He's not going to stay on the top. The Gemara says the arrogance of Yeravim is what swept him away from the world. How do we translate gasus or ruach? We always translate it as arrogance. Gas means gas, uh, grub, brute, coarse. Gas or ruach means a spirit of coarseness, arrogance. But here, gasus or ruach means something else. Balatani in the Kutatayr, I think, Baaloyschor, someone says, gasus or ruach means the ruchnius is gas. Gasus or ruach means the ruchnius is gas. You're dealing with spirituality, but it's a spirituality that is coarse. It's gas. That gasus haruach is not a regular arrogance. It's a spiritual form of arrogance. In other words, it's an elevated gasus. You have ruchnius. You're not a gashmi. You're a ruchni. But the ruchnius is a gas. It's brute. It's coarse. It's not refined ruchnius. That is tardasim and oilam. And this is where Yeravim and Nevat's downfall happens. What does this mean? Let's understand what the Balatanya is teaching us here. Yeravim is very profound. He knows when Hashem says, me, you, Ben Yishai, are going to stroll in an Aden, the order was precise. You come first. The Mibiraish was not a repetitive question. It was a deep question. I come first, I know that. But is that the journey, or is that the destination? Is Mibiraish part of the journey of history, that I'm first? Or is it the truth? In other words, I know that I come first, but I want to know me Berosh. Who's really Berosh? I want to know the truth, me Berosh. What is this vision that you have for us in this world? Okay, but in other words, does it remain this way, that I'm Berosh? So he says, Ben Yishan. He says, if Now what's the Havana? Let's understand. You take it out of the... Here it's in the names, like the Gemara always says these stories with names, but it's a concept that's being represented, that's being conveyed through the story. So we come back here now to the theme of this Mimer, the, con- the contrast and the contention that happens between Yosef and Yehuda. And in history, there is a split. Not only is there a split, there are moments when there's complete hate and alienation to the point that Yosef is sold into slavery, etc., then there is forgiveness and reconciliation. But the reconciliation doesn't last forever. V'haraya, the split resurfaces again in Jewish history. And it's Yecheskel, who after the Chorban prophesizes, one day, Oid, David Malach Alayim 
this split is resurfacing now again in the life of Yeravim. Generations after Yosef and Yehuda made peace, the Tikkun was not complete yet. And the split happens again, and it's again not reconciled. Because Yeravim goes off, he does not do tshuva. And there's a split, and the split remains, and Yecheskel prophesizes about a future time when there will be complete oneness, even though Ben Yishai will be Berosh. But this Yeravim cannot tolerate. In the future, Avdi David there won't be a split anymore. Yosef? Well, Yosef was in Egypt; he wasn't alive then. But Yehuda accepted Yosef's Malchus, of course. They all understood. Ah, okay. Let's see. Let's see. The Shalor writes that the reason the brothers despised Yosef so much is because they saw Yeravim. <laughs> They saw in Yosef his grandchild Yeravim ben Nevat, and they saw his Merida in Malchus Beis David, because he was Merid, and Merid ben Malchus Beis David is Chayiv Misa, and Malchus Beis David is the source of Mashiach. In other words, Yeravim ben Nevat is Kaifer Mashiach, and Malchus Beis David, and therefore they pass in Yosef as Chayiv Misa. That's what the Shalos says. Again, what does this mean? It all Kol Hadvarim Kol Nechalim Halchem Alayam. It all comes back. To this nekuda that's being that's being conveyed. So, what is the issue? What is Yeravim struggling with? <laughs> Yeravim is struggling with one question, and it's really the question of all. It's really, it's really one of the biggest, the biggest, biggest questions, and that is: <coughs> Is life about me, or is life about truth? What is it? What is life? Is life about me, or is life about not me? To quote one man, to be or not to be, that is the question. But let's paraphrase it. To be or to be not, that is the question. Not to be or not to be. To be or to be not. Is life about being, to be, or is life about to be not? Now, this is a very deep question. It's not philosophical, theological. It begins that level, but it trickles down to everything. Every experience. From relationships to marriage, from education. And the biggest issue is what comes to religion. Which by definition is about a relationship with something beyond yourself. With God, with truth, with Hashem. To be or to be not. Or as we put it, in other words, to find yourself in God, to be. And to be at all costs. Or to be not. To be not. So, every child asks this question from his parents. Maybe not uh, in Shakespearean English. But in more, uh, in more genuine English. <laughs> Every yeshiva boch asks this question. Every girl asks this question. They articulate it in different ways, but it's the same question. What is it about? What is it? Is it about being, or is it about being not? Self-expression, self-transcendence, self-realization, self-forgetfulness, self-actualization, or surrender to something that is deeper than yourself? That's the big question. What did we learn here in this Mimer? We learned here in this Mimer that by definition, 
history of the world and history of every person goes through different stages. There is the experience of Tzemeach, there's the experience of Daimon. The experience of Tzemeach is you find yourself to be. The experience of Daimon is I'm silent. What does it mean I'm silent? It's not about me expressing myself. It's about me serving. Me serving. Bittel, self-nullification, self-abnegation, self-obliteration, self-transcendence. However you want to translate it or define it. Now, the Alter Rebbe the Balatanya said that in today's day, Yosef is beyond Yehuda, is higher than Yehuda. Why is Yosef higher than Yehuda? The same reason that Hashem tells Yeravam, me, you, and Ben Yishai will go together in Ganeidin. In other words, you come before Ben Yishai. Why do you come before Ben Yishai? Because in the process of evolution of the human being, from ignorance to enlightenment, from bruteness to depth, from ignorance to wisdom, from distance to closeness, Doimim is inspired by Tzemeach. Yehuda is inspired by Yosef. is deeper, superior, more inspiring than Bittl. And therefore, whose Avoidah comes first? Who is the leader? Who sets the tone? Yeravim ben sets the tone. Granted. But Yeravim ben wants to know something else. He wants to know who's really Berosh. <laughs> who's really Berosh? Shem says, Ben Yishai Berosh. This Nakuda Yeravim cannot deal with. Yeah. Yeah. This Nakuda Yeravim will not be able to deal with. Why can't Yeravim deal with this? Because Yeravim ultimately will not surrender his ego. Ever. Yeravim has no problem to find the God that fits into him, that he's good. He has no problem to find the godliness that suits his identity, where he can find himself, where he can express himself, where he could say, Ah, I feel good. In other words, I will use you to make me feel good. Spirituality is a tool for my self-actualization, for my self-expression. And God says, I know, you're leading the way. He says, no, 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 I want to know what's the ultimate truth. I want to know what's the ultimate truth. Hashem says that the ultimate truth is that (laughs) the ultimate truth is that ain't oid movadai. The ultimate truth is that when your eye will really, really, really discover your eye, your eye won't be I anymore. Our eyes, your eye and my eye, are really one. Self-actualization serves a very important purpose in the world of distance, in overcoming the gulf. And you can't skip it, because if you deny it, and you deny the need, as we explained, that piece of you that's separate remains completely detached, and could remain abused, and could be crushed, and will come back to haunt you. 
So self-actualization is not only a stepping stone, it's an imperative. It's a catalyst. It's a springboard. It's the hachan, it's the foundation on which Yehuda can one day be the melech. If Yosef is not the melech, Yehuda will never be the melech. You know why? Because Yehuda's malchus will not be able to be wholesome. It would be like your child is dating, and you said, should I get engaged to this person? And you say, do you have any feelings? Do you feel that uh, this will enhance your life, enrich your life? Are you, are you crazy over this person? Are you excited? And the parent will say, and, 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 the, and, and somebody, another parent will say, since when is life about excitement? And since when is life about ego? And since when is life about your emotions? Life is about Ani Nivresi Lashamash Askaini, serve God. She wants to serve God together with you, wonderful. People have gotten this advice. You think it's right advice for people? You think it's right advice for a person? It's not advice for a person. Why is it not right advice for a person? Huh? Because what that happens then is you did not deal with the self. You ignored the self. You obliterated the self. You crushed the self. And the self remains outside of the relationship. And your relationship is one that operates only on a level where you don't exist. But on the level where you do exist, there's no relationship. There's frustration. There's annoyance. It may be repressed. It may be conscious. But when that comes out, you won't be able to survive unless you destroy that part of yourself and then there's no relationship anyway. You're just a zombie. People become zombies. We know that. They become zombies. They don't exist. So you, you, for Yehuda to be a king, Yosef has to be a king. And only when Yosef is a king can he prepare the ground for Yehuda being a king. So when the brothers are upset with Yosef, why are you the Melech? You are the black sheep. You're destroying Judaism. You're turning it into an ego. Really the answer is, if not for Yosef, Yehuda will never be able to be the king. Yosef is not the competitor of Yehuda. Yosef is the one who lays the groundwork for Yehuda. Yosef is the one who prepares the road for Yehuda. And then Yehuda could come in. Again, Yosef and Yehuda here are conveying two concepts, two realities. We're not even talking about so much the people. Yeruvim ben now what happens? So now look what happens. Yosef is the king. The Mishkan goes in from, from the, the Midbar to, to Shiloh. Okay. The Mishkan in Midbar was not like the Mishkan in Shiloh. You know that. The Mishkan in Shiloh had walls of stone, but the roof was still Urias. In other words, the Mishkan in Shiloh was an intermediary stage between the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. We said that the Beis HaMikdash was all offer. The Mishkan was Chaitz and The Shiloh, which was by Yosef, was an intermediary stage. You had partially wall, partially beams, and then on top you had Chai. So you had a mixture. The Malucha goes to Binyamin, which is Shol, and then it goes to David, which is Yehuda, which is supposed to be the Tikkun Hashalim, because now you have Yehuda. But Shloyme, the Pasuk says that the end of Shloyme's life, relative to the Madrega of Shloyme, he, was, uh, he fell. Shloyme Melech fell. What does this mean? This means that history was saying you're not done with Yosef yet, so you can't jump to Yehuda. So we have to now go back to Yosef. Because if you didn't deal with Yosef, you can't go to Yehuda. So we have to now go to Yeruvim ben Avad. Yeruvim ben Avad is going to have to pick up where Yosef left off, and he will prepare the groundwork for Yehuda to come back. So you have Yosef, you have Yehuda, and then God says we've got to go back to Yosef. 
Yeruvah Benevot is that person. He's that individual. Yeruvah Benevot is a giant of giants. He is Yosef once again. Yifei Toya, Yifei Mara, not only physically, but spiritually. He says, you, me, you, and Ben Yishai will take a stroll in Ganeid. And Ben Yishai will be inspired by you. Ben Yishai will follow you. Doimim will follow you. That's what Doimim is. Doimim has to be fueled by of a sense of inspiration. But the Yerofa wants to know one thing. What's the emes? What's the real, real emes? And when Hashem says, Ben Yishai Beroish, He says, no. This doesn't work. There's no point where Yerofa Menavot can let go. He's never ready to really let go. He's not ready. So this is a very subtle moment where at the surface, Yerovah Menavot is the giant of the generation and he comes before David HaMelech. But deep down at the core of his self-expression, there is a profound uh, toxicity that ultimately puts Yeravim into a different world than Yosef. Yosef is Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef is a person who's considered not just Dovuk in the Shechina, but Yosef in many ways is one of the greatest, one of the greatest giants in Jewish history. Yeravim ben Avot ultimately becomes the great Choyto Machdias Arabim. Not because he didn't have Ruchnius. He had Gasus Haruach. Him, for him, Ruchnius always remained coarse. Spirituality ultimately was self-serving. God was ultimately self-serving. And he could never, ever melt. He could never, ever appreciate that the Menagin becomes a Nagin. He could never really appreciate that. He had to hold on that's what Avodah means. He becomes the master. What's Avodah mean? Avodah means you have to hold on to the sense of separateness. I will not acknowledge absolute unity. I will fight for separateness till the end. Why? Because I'm not ready to give that up. I will not. I will not be ready to give that up ever. I'm going to fight for it. What if truth is there? Ultimately, truth will have to go. At this point, there's no reconciliation. At this point, Yosef is not Yosef anymore. At this point, self-expression is a form of idol worship. That's the story of Yeravim. Coming back to the question then. So, how is Yosef, on the one hand, saying, acknowledging that he is superior, and this is his, quote, shlichus, but saying that he understands that at times, at some point, it's not going to be that way? No, as he's, unlike Yeravim, he acknowledges, I'm here, this is where I'm supposed to be now, you know, the quarterback's down, but he's going to come back and, uh, you know, and, and come back to, you know. Yosei is very, very nuanced. You know, unlike Yeravim, he's acknowledging, Extremely. he's able to be an absolute powerhouse with all the, with all the <laughs> engagement, and yet at some level to say, but it's not really going to be about me. That's what you have to sort of come up with. Excellent question. And the truth is that that's what Yechesko's Navu is all about. The two sticks become one. There's no split anymore. And the king is David. Why is Yosef not resentful? It's either me or you. We can't... The Gemara says in Chulun. 
It doesn't work that way. So the Ein Melech, the Ein Balabas. Mashiach Ben Yosef, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't say. We say there's no split anymore. What does this really mean? It really means that Yosef's self-expression is really part of the oneness. There's no real separation. It's all part of oneness. For oneness to be one, it must permeate you. It must penetrate you. The Kalal, you can't go to the world of Kalal if you don't go to the world of Prat. You're not really going to the world of Kalal. It's not Yosef as a compromise. Nebach, Nebach, it's a weak generation. No, Yosef is not a compromise. Yosef and Yehuda are really one. The way the oneness comes out is in two different modalities. Because it's really one, therefore it's not a contradiction. It's a different hechitimtza. The software is different, not the hardware. There's the way the achtos is expressed in the mode of history when Yosef has to dominate. And there's the way it comes out in Yehudim. You see, we're used to a world of hierarchy. That's how we're, we're, we're indoctrinated into a world of hierarchy, not a world of unity. So when we hear Yehudah is l'mayla Yosef, we're not hearing what he says. What we're hearing is Yehudah is going to sit in Mizrach and Yosef is going to sit in Mayriv, right? And somebody's going to say, let's make a breakaway chassidus. Uh, you know what I mean? That's what we hear. We can't get out of that model. Yehud is the king. I was the king, so what happens? Okay, well, okay, I won't split. You'll give me enough money. We, we keep on going to that place. But it's not the space we have to go to. You have to go into different... When you say David is the king, Yehud is the king, don't understand Yehud as a person. If Yehud is doimim, if Yehud is bitl, so then what makes him a king is, not that he's a king... <laughs> that he's a conduit, that he's not a king, <laughs> and Yosef is completely there. What makes Yehuda a king is that he's not a king. His power is his powerlessness. His power is his powerlessness. I am, I am a conduit. I'm not preaching to you. I am not leading you. I am not controlling you. <laughs> I'm a conduit. Uh, there's no anoichi. There's no anoichi. That's where Yosef is at home, just like Yehuda. Because that was the Nakuda of Yosef also. That's the difference between Yosef and Yom. Yeravim was a getchka. Yeravim was ultimately a getchka. He didn't sound like one. <laughs> he sounded like a Gadol Hadar, but he was a getchka. Yosef sounded the same. But the subtle mind knew that Yosef is much closer to Yehuda than Yeravim is to Yosef. <laughs> Yosef and Yeravim preach the same gospel. Self-expression, self-actualization, self-realization. But Yosef was really closer to Yehuda than Yeravim was to Yosef. Why? Because the software was identical. But in hardware, in core, or the chip, I should say, the chip, in computer language, they were absolutely opposite. For Yosef, self-expression is self-surrender. And for Yeravam, the two are irreconcilable. There's no way I will accept it. There's no way I will accept it. So in other words, Yecheskel Anavi tells us 
the whole reason we make the split is only because our brains love polarities. We love two kings. Either he's the king or he's the king. Either it's doimim or tzemeach. Either it's mishkan or the beis hamikdash. Either it's self or selflessness. Either there's growth or there's nullification. We, we, we love those polarities and we have to work through that polarity. Yes, in our perception there's a polarity and that's what I have to work through. That's exactly why there's a space for Yosef and there's a space for Yehuda. But MS, there's no split. There's no split. It's Hainuhach. Because the ultimate self-expression, the ultimate self-expression is self-surrender. When that musician feels that he doesn't exist, he doesn't go to therapy the next day and he says, I had the most abusive experience yesterday. My whole Metzius was destroyed. His Metzius wasn't destroyed. People crave for that moment. It's the moment of ultimate self-realization. What is ultimate self-realization? That you don't have the burden to be. You don't have the burden of existence. I don't have to carry myself. I could be self-aware without being aware of the self. Self-aware without being aware of the self. I don't have to navigate the self because the self is so one with truth that it could just be without being. It could be without being. That's not a moment of compromise. It's a moment of great self-expression. So the ultimate self-expression is in self-surrender. And the ultimate self-surrender demands self-expression. Because if you surrender without the self, the self will come to haunt you and bite you. And ultimately you can't surrender. Why can't you surrender? Because the you was completely left behind. And the you is not transcending. The you is being crushed. But, but, there's stages. There's a stage in life which say meyach is the dominant feature and doimim is necessary. I told you, discipline is always necessary. Doimim is always necessary. But the doimim serves the tzemeach. And this itself has two modalities. Modality number one is, um, you mentioned yesterday, people are obedient. But they're obedient because of an inner value. If I'm obedient because of an inner value, then it's not a form of repression, it's a form of self-expression. If I have an inner value that I'm ready to fight for, I'll fight for it, but when I'm fighting for it, I'm not destroying myself, I'm really expressing myself. I'm expressing an inner value that's more valuable than the outer instinct, whatever that inner value is. So that is a daimon that's also an expression of tzemeach. Sometimes there's a moment of daimon when I can't even feel my inner value. So there is more surrender there, but still, it's makabal from tzemeach in the sense that it's being fueled by a certain form of inspiration. But nonetheless, nobody can celebrate that doimim and say it's deeper than tzemeach. It's not. This month, the answer to Yeravim takes on a new meaning. It's not that he's saying to Yeravim, no, lavo, it's going to be ben yishai barosh. It's like you think you understand right. what the mahalach is, but even now it's Ben Yishai Barash, right. because his Mahalach is not what you right. think it is. Right, exactly. Even now Ben Yishai is Barash. La'asad Lavi is just the removal of the veil where the truth of reality will emerge. And in the truth of reality will emerge, of course Daimon is higher than Semeach. How could Semeach be higher than Daimon? In Semeach, I'm busy overcoming my ego and dealing with my ego. In Daimon, there's complete oneness. The Daimon that I experience today doesn't have that power. 
Because in a world of separation, daimim is discipline and surrender and I don't care about what you're feeling, right? I'm going to go back to that simple example of dieting. You may have an inner value to live. A lot of Jews don't. But you may have an inner value that life, health is a good thing, right? You may have that inner value. So when this food that's toxic for you is there, it's enticing. Nonetheless, you'll say, I want it, but I'm not going to have it. Is that called suppression of self? <laughs> no, we know it's called actually realization of self. You're, 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 you articulated a very deep value, but still, you have to surrender a certain part. Instincts, moods, cravings. That's where discipline comes in. And one can't expect in that mode to experience the full glory of diamond because there is a separateness. And in that separateness, I am in a lowly state. I still crave poison and toxicity. That's what I love. And the moment I'm not in control, I will go there. Huh? Of course. Mi b'roish means, I know I'm b'roish. I heard you say it. I'm not deaf. I want to know what's really b'roish. What's really about us. This core, this subtle core, is very hard to sense. Two people could be saying the same thing. Yeah. One is Yosef Atzadik and one is a Gechke. One, It's a very different thing. And I now go the other way. Yehuda can also be saying the same thing like somebody else. Same thing. One is a form of the deepest unity and self-expression. And one is a form of, uh, of, 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 of destruction. But even the doimim today, has the, it's the Yehuda element. I may not experience the full grandeur of it, but it's rooted in a oneness that is so powerful, and that's why the doimim has that koyach even today. It's the machshavet chila. Machshavet is cheshev ma. Yovim says, no, 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 no. I'm not ready for ma. I'm not going to Ma. As long as I could find myself in God, I'm good. As long as I can find myself in God, I'm good. You want to say something? Yerovim just went from being this egotistical maniac to being... being, being yes. is what we all struggle with. Yes, yes. So Yerovim is not an egotistical uh, maniac, this, this, this guy who wakes up in the morning and is, is a serial killer. An idol worshiper. Yeruvim is you and I. Yeruvim is, 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 is actually, Yeruvim is, is, is far deeper. When you read the Sugi in Sanhedrin, Kuf Beis, Kuf Gimel, Al Pipshat, you're like, there's something off here. The Gemara says that there was nobody on the Madrega of Yeruvim. Nobody entirely on the Madrega of Yeruvim. Achia Shiloini was blown away by Yeruvim. The Gemara says, Hu Achia Shiloini, Shneim Basadim, Eskasim, Besim Lechadosha, Loi Shaman Oizen May Oilam. Yeravam, on every halachi in Torah's koyanim, he could explain it in 103 ways. Kuv Gimel. Kuv Gimel, it says, Darizal says, Begematria Egel. And it's in Sanhedrin, Daf Kuv Gimel, Begematria Egel. Why? Because that's Yeravam. Yeravam's energy is very deep in Torah. The way it trickles down, it morphs into an Egel. But it doesn't start with an Egel. Starts off with a tremendous koyachachidish. Because he's so innovative, because he's so expressive, somebody who's not innovative, somebody who's not expressive, Yehuda works very well, you know? If you got no personality, obedience is a wonderful thing. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Slavery has a lot of advantages. 
You know why? You never take responsibility, and you always have somebody to blame. So there's a tremendous glory there. Yeravim is not stam and egotistical, meshugana, rasha, merusha. Yeravim is struggling with something very, very, very profound. And it's a struggle that the deeper the person is, the greater the struggle is. Because if I'm not deep, surrender, in its ultimate sense, is not so difficult. When somebody is a true artist, when somebody has a true song, a true soul, the greatest mysterious nefesh is not to give up a material craving. The great mysterious nefesh is to give up identity. Identity. Why? Because identity is my richness. To be able to give up identity for truth. Oh. And to be able to realize that identity doesn't really give itself up for the sake of truth because your identity was only supposed to be a reflection of truth. That's where Yosef and Yeravim were two opposites. For Yeravim, identity was for the sake of identity. For me, for life, identity that the powerful play goes on and I, I can contribute my verse. What will be your verse? Life is a play, and everybody contributes their verse. But my verse is my verse. I'm not ready to give up my verse. Yeravim says, I'm not ready to give up my verse. So in summation, he explained that the, the conversation between the Rebbeinah Shalolam and Yeravim Benavat and Masech Sanhedrin of Kuv Beis, where Hashem offers Yeravim Benavat an offer that most of us would say is one that you can't refuse. Namely, do tshuva and me and you and the son of Yishai will take a stroll in Gan Eden. Yeravim Benavat wants to know who will lead and when he hears David HaMelech will lead, he rejects the offer. And the only thing the Gemara can say about that is that sometimes great people can be so profoundly derailed because of their pompousness, because of their inability for humility, because of their arrogance. But here the story takes on a whole different dimension, or I should say not a different dimension, a deeper dimension, namely that this was really not just plain, brute, foolish arrogance. At the end of the day, does it really matter who walks first? If David is in the front and you're in the back, well, why can't he ask God to expand the Ganadin so they can make it walk together? Three people could sometimes walk together. right? Does the path in Ganadin have to be so narrow that only two could fit in and therefore one has to be in the back? Can Marichav sein the Ganadin? We could do some demolition and construction. Yeravim Benavot could have been creative. But no, the fate is not. The word is, he said, I will not follow in this process. I will not follow, I will only lead. I will not be a follower, I will only be a leader. So the Baal Atanya Rebbe explained to us in summation that Yeravah ben Avot is the Pchin of Yosef, Ben Yishai is of course David, David Melech Yisrael is the Pchin of Yehuda, the Shevet Yehuda. And as a result of that, the debate here was really resurfacing the contention between Yosef and Yehuda, Shloimah HaMelech's kingship went to Yerachavim, but now Yeravim is initiated into the Malucha. In other words, Yosef resurfaces as a king, and the Rebbeinu Shalom says, if you could realign yourself with your ancestor, 
your holiness could be so powerful to the point that you will experience in this world Gan Eden, and not just Gan Eden, you will experience a stroll in Gan Eden. Strolling on Eden means you will experience an infinite explosion and revelation of divine, infinite energy. But Yeravim ben Avot has one condition. He says, fine, I'm happy to be in Yosef's position, but I want to know if truthfully, me Beroish, who is truly superior. When Hashem says it's David HaMelech, He says, He cannot come to terms with the fact of this Maimer. That Yehuda in Shairish is Lamaila Mi Yosef and Laasid Love, it's going to be revealed the Avdi David Malachalaim Laim. And that's the Gasasa Ruach of Yiravim. It's not pompous, uh, foolish, arrogance, stupidity, where you can't walk in the back, but rather rather uh, you know you didn't get Bracha Khrita by the Chup and therefore you won't speak you won't speak to the Machutan for sixty five years because you didn't get the right Bracha under the Chuppah. But rather, the situation here is a very profound, almost internal, not almost, an internal resistance. What he says is only really what he's saying. It's an internal, uh, philosophical, theological, psychological, spiritual, emotional, emotional, existential resistance to the very notion of the Avdi David Melech Aleim Lo'aylam. He cannot make peace with the role that Shevet Yehuda, that Malchus, Mashiach, David Shlomo, plays in Klal Yisrael, in Jewish history. And it's not here the person as much as it is what the person represents, what David represents. Now it comes to the last piece. Umeyenza, you see the line starts, Umeyenza, four lines from the end of the mind. Umeyenza is boyer gamkin b'makem A similar idea we explained elsewhere, actually, in Parsha Shlach, the Balatani explains about the spies. It's a very interesting uh, comment here. The way, you know, people take these psukim for granted. When the Torah describes the sending of the Miraglim, this is what has to be pointed out here because this is the, the, the key note that he wants to address. So the Rebbeinu Shalom tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha Anoshim. V'yasuru es Eretz Kanan. Send men and let them scout the land. V'yishlach Oysa Moshe, Moshe sent them amid bar paran al pi Hashem. Kulam Anoshin. They were all men. And for the Balatanya, that was the tragedy. <laughs> tragedy was, they were all men. So the Klayakar already says that they weren't women. The problem is they weren't women. That Hashem told Moshe, if you want to send spies, you should only send women. The Klayakar says this. Because the, Hashem knew that the women are in love with Eretz Yisrael. And the men are not. And therefore, he said, women you could trust. They will not be distracted by the obstacles of Eretz Yisrael. It's a fascinating Klayokar, not written in the 21st century, but written in the 17th century in Prague, before the 1950s. That's what the Klayokar says. That's why Hashem says, You know what your problem is? That you only think you could send men, and if you would send women, there would be no problems. Moshe Rabbeinu thought you should be sending men, and Hashem said that's going to be a disaster. Interesting. So that's his saying, because the women were in love with Eretz Yisrael. You see it with the Benoi Slavchot. They fought for Eretz Yisrael. The men kept on saying, let's go back to Mitzrayim. And the women are like, we want Eretz Yisrael. And that's why it actually says that the whole sin of the Miraglum was only for the men. The women were not part of it. They did not weep. Which is why, as Rashi says, all the women went into Eretz Yisrael. Nobody died. 
during those 40 years, which is the beginning of the Shidduch crisis. Uh, a disproportionate amount of women, uh, that's why we spoke, it can be the Mitzar of Taminyan, because the Gemara says in Megillah that a minion you learn from the Meraglim. The whole side of a minion is Meraglim, and a minion is men. Okay. So interestingly, this, this follows a similar pattern, but on a different level. What's the what's the Eretz Yisrael represents Malchus. Eretz There's the physical Eretz Yisrael, but the physical Eretz Yisrael is parallel to the spiritual Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael, the land, the earth, the diamond. They didn't have the humility to appreciate Eretz Yisrael. Shedimu ba'atzmam. They believed she'en srichem they need Eretz Yisrael. They are from the masculine world. They're men. And because they're men, they did not understand that they didn't appreciate the value of earth, the value of femininity, the value of earthiness, the value of doimim, the value of bittel, the value of malchus. And therefore Eretz Yisrael only turned them off. It uninspired them. They said, Eretz Oicheles Yeshveha. It threatened them. It threatened them. Masculine. Dchar in Aramaic is Zachar. Dalit is substituted with Zion. So Zachar, masculine, becomes Dchar in Aramaic. Almadidchurah means from the world of Zachrus. Versus Almadinukva would be the world of Nekeva, the world of openness, the world of a cavity, the world of femininity. And therefore they say the land is It eats up its inhabitants. Now this needs explanation. What are the Miraglam, what are the Miraglam saying here? What is, it, what is this time? So let's see he finishes. But you should know that all this problem with Yeravim ben Avot, which is a similar echo to the Miraglam, even though on a different level, with different people, different circumstances, but it has a similar issue. You should know that this is not a permanent, a permanent conflict. Yosef Hatzadik veYehuda Yischabru laAsid Lavei Betachlus Hayichud. In the future, when all reality will be revealed, when the depth of existence will emerge, and the human eye will be able to perceive the undercurrents of reality, Yehuda and Yosef will become synthesized, integrated, and not just superficially, but Betachlus Hayichud with the ultimate unity, the perfect unity. The expression of the Zoyer and Kegavna that we say on Friday. That one should become one with one. Because it's one. One becomes one with one because it's one. And one remains one. In other words, Yehuda and Yosef are one. That's, that's why the Haftarah of Ayigash is the ultimate, is the ultimate realization of this ideal, of this dream, of this truth, which during history is full of tension and turmoil, because from a more external level, the two are are uh, are conflicted, and the void of humanity is to reveal that Yehuda and Yosef are one. That's essentially what Avoida is. Avoida is to reveal that Yehuda and Yosef are one, and in that process, you make mistakes. And in that process you fight, and in that process you have to discover that you're one. And to discover that you're one, it means you have to work on it. And when you work on it, part of that process is you feel it's not one. 
And that's why in the first stage of history, Yosef is hated. He's despised by his brothers. He is seen as the greatest threat for the future of the Jewish people. Yehuda is the one who is the king, who is the one who fights him the most. In the sense, because he's the Melech of like Rashi says, the reason that they dethroned Yehuda after the Mechira of Yosef is because they said, you were the one ultimately who was responsible for the sale, the famous Rashi in Vayesha, because you're the Melech Shabashvatim, Ma Betza. His father, on the other hand, believes that there's something very special in Yosef. He holds on to his dreams. The next stage in the story, Yehuda submits to Yosef. He acquiesces to Yosef. Yosef forgives his brother. He embraces his brother. But he is clearly the undisputed leader. They are the recipients and he is the leader. At a later stage in history, a mishkan is built modeling Yosef versus Yehuda. Meaning, the roof is high, the walls are tzemeach, the earth is doimim. At a later stage of history, the mishkan moves into Eretz Yisrael. Eretz is already earth. Land, femininity, malchus. And the Mishkan is reconstructed in Chile for 369 years. And this is a transitional stage. Because the Mishkan in Shiloh is what? Its roof is schai. But its walls become daimim. So it's not anymore like the Mishkan. But it's also not like the Beis Hamikdash. The Beis Hamikdash, even the roof will be daimim. In the Mishkan, the roof will not be daimim. The roof will be chai. But the wall will be like the Beis Hamikdash. Not the whole wall. I believe the first 10 or 12 Amis of the Mishkan and Shili was walls, and then out on top of that you had Karachim. So it was Mamish, an intermediary stage. Then you have the king who comes from Binyamin, Shoal. Shoal comes from Shevet Binyamin. Then you finally go over from Yosef, Binyamin, that family, from Rachel's family, you go over to Yehuda's family, David. David is supposed to be the king and the Mashiach. David Malkis, David Malka Meshicha. Love Malkis called Sudasa, David Malka Meshicha. And he doesn't build the Beis but his son builds the Beis Hamikdash, which is Zeisman Uchasi Adei Ad, where finally the vision of Yehuda takes root, and therefore Eishes Chayla Teres Baila, the roof and the walls are from Afar. And where is the Tzemeach in the Beis Hamikdash? The Tzemeach is Klun Soiz Shal Erez, cedar wood that supports the gutter on the roof, which is made of rock of stone. So the Tzemeach is there, but only supporting the diamond, and it's hidden. Shloim HaMelech passes away, and somehow we're not ready for Yehuda yet. So now God says we got to go back. we got to go back to Yosef. <laughs> you got to go back to Yosef. you got to go back to Yosef. That's Yeravim ben But Yeravim ben instead of going back to Yosef, he goes to a whole, he creates a whole new set of problems. He becomes his own Getschke, <coughs> and now there's a split. Yehuda is incomplete, but Yosef is also incomplete. So instead of Yosef leading up to Yehuda, Yosef is derailed from Yehuda, and there's a complete split, and that split ends up in, in a churban. Yecheskel prophesizes that one day there will be unity. How long is that split for? That split goes on for uh, 300 years. What happened? A little less, a little less. For almost 300 years. More than two centuries, because the first base Amir stands for 410 years. It's built by Shleiman right after Shleiman's death. It's a split, and the ten Shvatim are exiled 150 years before the Chorpen. So you're dealing with uh, almost 300 years. Both splits, he's very, he's very Marek and Yosef. What happened to the other side of the law? With Yehuda. Okay, I'll discuss that in a moment. You asked that yesterday at the end of the Shia. The, the transition of Shia was hard to understand, though, because Yosef really should have been the quintessential Mishkan. That's all about Tzomeach. 
and Yehuda, you know, the Mikdash. So, but Shiloh we identify with Yosef also. But yet Shiloh is a mix between Because that's in Eretz Yisrael already. That's where the Meraglim come in. Once the Meraglim despise Eretz Yisrael, they want to keep it out of Eretz Yisrael. So the Mishkan out of Eretz Yisrael is completely in the model of Yosef. Once it's in Eretz Yisrael, it already is a transition between Yosef and Yehuda. Now what happens then is, the second base of Mikdash is built by Kairish. And the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, Kairish is Hechmetz. What did he do? He took the Tzimeach and he put it out. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, what was Kairish's big Rishus? That he built the walls of the Beis HaMikdash, the second Beis HaMikdash, three rows stone, and one row fresh wood. And that's the big Hechmetz. So I'll peek shot, you say, the Gemara says, so he could burn down the building easily. Right? So that's what made him such a rush. He wanted to burn down the building easily in case there's a revolt. Boom, boom, boom. It's not rock, it's wood. We can destroy it. Alpipnimi is the Vartis, that this was a destruction. For to put Tzimeach in the Beis Hamikdash in a protrude, in a conspicuous way. It wasn't concealed. By Shloime, you also had Tzimeach. But it was in the Doimem. In other words, the Tzimeach was not gone. The Tzimeach was um, subsumed by the Doimem. Concealed by them. In other words, it was a din in the doimim. It was a it was a gather in the doimim. I'll explain what that means in a moment. But that's the key. It was a din in doimim by Kurdish. No, no, no. The tzemeach. It's back to Yeravim. It's back to Yeravim benavot. Ihachi loy beina. The tzemeach is not going to become subservient to the doimim. In my base hamikdash, the tzemeach stands on its own. Ben Yishai is not going to be berosh. That's all part of the tikkun. That's all part of the process. Yechesko, that's why he finishes the whole Maimer. But there's going to be a day where Yosef and Yehuda will have absolutely no issues. Not because they'll each have a separate melucha, but because there will be revealed a truth which will show that they're completely one and David is going to be Mashiach. You don't say Yosef is going to be Mashiach. Now this of course fits in with the two Mashiachs. There's Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. The way the Gemara describes Mashiach ben Yosef, which is a mysterious part of Jewish history, what Mashiach ben Yosef means, the Gemara says Mashiach ben Yosef is going to come before Mashiach ben David. And Mashiach ben Yosef is going to be killed. And then Mashiach ben David will emerge. However we understand this to be in Sifri HaKabola, there's a lot of symbolism in this and metaphor in this and you know what it means and who Mashiach ben Yosef is and when he comes and what's his role and what do you need him for. But the key is... That Mashiach ben Yosef, not only is he not a Yeravim ben Avot, who is rebelling against Malchus based on but on the contrary, he sees his identity as a prelude, as the one who heralds, as the one who paves the path and creates the path for Mashiach ben David. In other words, that's part of the process of Lameve Echad Be'echad, the two sticks become one in Yechezkel's hand. So not only are the two Mashiachim not competitors to each other, but one actually is completely dedicated to the emergence of the other. On a Pinimius level, why would, he, why would the Sheikh ben Yosef be killed? Would be yeah, well, when we say killed, killed here means like <coughs> a, 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 a sublimated. Uh, histalkos, sublimated. Sublimated means absorbed, absorbed right. by that and integrated. There's no separate consciousness. There's no separate consciousness from Mashiach ben David. The consciousness is absorbed in Mashiach ben David. The Meraglim are perturbed by Eretz Yisrael. Why? Eretz Oicheles Yoshvahi. A land that eats up its inhabitants. What does it mean, it eats up its inhabitants? 
Rashi says they saw a lot of funerals, and they said, I don't know, everyone is dying here. Everybody's dying. On a deeper level, what it means is, whenever you deal with doimim, it's a chelas yeshveha. Huh? It's dead. <laughs> doimim is dead. It eats up its inhabitants. It creates dead people. You, wanna, you want living people or you want dead people? You want trees or you want rocks? <laughs> you want people who grow or you want lifelessness? What do you want? You want organic material? You want inorganic material? You want to go to Israel? No problem. But it's the end of Judaism. It's called institutionalized religion. You got to go to work. Trumas, meisters, armies, politics, governments. It's over. The show is over. You want to live with God, you stay here. You want to be inspired, you stay here. In Eretz Yisrael, you're going to find Doimim. And in Doimim is Echelos Yeshva. That's what the Shvat, the Meragman, that's why he's comparing them to Yeravim Benavot. Now he doesn't mean to say the Meragman and Yeravim Benavot are the same thing. You don't say about the Meragman, you say about Yeravim Benavot. But even Yeravim Benavot is sublimated here to a sophisticated uh, a spiritual message. Like you said, it's not a, it's not, not, not a rabble-rouse. Now, to understand this a little clearer, and the, two, the, the, the process here, I just want to uh, take your attention to, uh, to a few lines that we learned earlier, but it was hard to understand it because one has to see the full picture. But I want to go back to those few lines and relearn them because now I think we'll be able to appreciate it and in many ways, that those few lines contain the, the core message here. It's the paragraph, one, the third paragraph from the end of the Maimon. The paragraph starts, Vihine, Beseder Hishtalshalus, which is the second to the last paragraph on column one of Memdalit. And um, I just want to go back to, uh, to a line that starts, Sharshoi, Sha'alab Machshavat Chile Kanal, and read those few lines. Now, they're Kabbalistic lines, that's why it was hard to understand. And they still remain Kabbalistic lines even at the end of the Maimon. That has not changed. I want to make that clear. But there is a few oasis that I want to dwell on to show how the picture, the puzzle, is, is culminated here. So Kihine, he says, The Shorosh of Yehuda was always higher. But the shayrish is not revealed. Where is a shayrish? A shayrish is always under the ground. A shayrish is, as they say in Yiddish, tiff in the erd. It's deep in the ground. It's deep under earth. You don't see a shayrish. On the other hand, there's no tree without a shayrish. When the shayrish comes out, when the shayrish will be revealed, then you will see that in shayrish Yehuda was higher, but the shayrish we never saw. And Yosef is the tree. The shayrish may be higher, but the shayrish I don't know about. It's, it's covered. It's underground. But when the shayrish is revealed, so then suddenly I say, wow, Yehud is in a whole different, it's a whole different uh, madrig. The two are associated with ma, which means what? Which means bitl. Abba Yosad Brata. The father gives birth to the daughter. Isha Ishmas Riat Khilila Dasnakev. Vizel meaning ki Chachma ilah nikri yiri ilah. The higher Chachma is called higher awe. Chachma tata shiya malchus yiri tata. 
There's Chachma Ilah and Chachma Tata. Higher wisdom, lower wisdom. Higher awe, lower awe. Higher fear, lower fear. V'zel Abba Yasad Brata. The father is the higher awe. The daughter is the lower awe. Mepchines Yiri Ilah, the Chachma Nemshechas HaMalchus Yiri Tata. The lower Yira comes from the higher Yira. Malchus comes from Chachma. Now we look at Yiratata, we say it's Yiratata. The Shirish of Yiratata is Yiratata. That's its source, but I don't see the mucker. And since I don't see the source, I only see the manifestation, I say it's low. It's Yiratata. When I could trace it back to the source, when I could see the Shirish, it's like I could see the Shirish of you, I could see. Yehudin is Shairish, then I say the Shairish of Yuri Tata is in Yuri Ilah. If it's in Yuri Ilah, it's higher than the Midas. Because you have Chachma, then you have, which is part of Chabad, Chachma bin Adas, then you have Midas, which is Ava, Yira, Chesed, Gorit, Tiferes, Netzachet, then you have Malchus. So you have three stages. You have Chachma Ilah, Yuri Ilah, Chachma, Koyachma, Cheshavma, that's the highest. Then you have Midas, emotions, then you have Malchus, Earthiness, doimem, femininity, yiritata, the lower level of yira, that's the lowest. Yiritata is lower than midais. It's certainly lower than chachmeila, than yirila. But when you could find the mucker of yiritata and trace it back to yirila, then what happens is, tia'az ateres baila. Automatically, yiritata becomes higher than her husband, which is midais. Ki habitol hulamaila bemadrege me'ave v'yiridimidus. Because Bittel is higher than Avavir, because they come from Chesed and Gvura, or Lekach Gam Achshav Yesh Ba'aretz Pchines Habittel, Pchines Bittel Diri Lo, Pchines Madregas Moshe Rabbein Olav Ashalom V'Nachnuma. Now, what does what's uh, so? There's a whole process here. There's a higher level of Yira. There's a lower level of Yira. In today's day, the lower level of Yira remains the lower level of Yira, and Midas are above it. Because this is diamond, this is semech. What's going to happen, Lassad Lavi, is nothing is going to change. You're just going to see what things are. When you're going to see what things are, you'll see the mucker of Yiritata. It's Yiri Allah. It's Yiri Allah. It's much higher than Midas. It's higher than Midas. So automatically, Yehuda is higher than Yosef. We also haven't characterized whether the philosophies of Yosef and Yehuda are we call them Yira philosophies or Chavim. Right. 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 So first I want to talk about the distortions, and then we can talk about healing the distortions. Huh? Mazda distortions? Uh, we need a PowerPoint. It's not clear. When it's not clear. It's not Metushtash, Meduldal, Meumam, Vuchuli, Vuchuli. Meumam, Ken. So, you have, Yeravim is a distortion of Yosef. What's a distortion of Yehuda? What would be a distortion of Yehuda? It would be, Yeravim takes Yosef's energy, he gets it, but he doesn't get it. 
right? And therefore, Yeruvim is further from Yosef than Yosef is from Yehuda. Because Yosef and Yehuda will make, become one. Yeruvim and Yosef will never become one. So they look the same, but they're very not the same. They look the same. Yosef and Yehuda look opposite, but really they're one. Really they're one. So you can have a Yosef derailed, you can also have a Yehuda derailed, like everything. Some of Malchi Yehuda were unbelievable people. David Shloimeh, Chizkiya Melech, Yeshio, and then you had, whoo, some of the Malchi Yehuda. You had Menashe, you had Yehoyakim, the Jewish Caliglia, Mishugayim, tyrants, Tzedreta, Chevre, crazy people they were. Menashe killed his Zayda, Yeshaya Navi, also all Malchi Yehuda these are. It wasn't easy to find a, 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 a noble king, never mind a normal king. Forget noble, just normal. Because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think it's radical Islam, but I can't put my finger on what the connection between you and the real radical Islam is, but that's what it sounds like. Mm. You're saying radical Islam. So, so let's see where the, two, where, the two go, where the two can go wrong, and then where they go right, and how they could go right. And the key here is, however, to remember this line with Yir Tata and Yir Ilah. What's the difference between Yir Tata and Yir Ilah? What's the difference? What's Yir Ilah? What's Yir Tata? It's clear that Yehuda is Yir Tata, Bizman Hazat. You're going to see that Yir Tata is Yir Ilah. That's its marker. Oh, wow. So it's higher than Midas. It means you could serve Hashem in three ways. You could serve Hashem on the highest way, or highest model, it was Yiri Ilah. The next is Midos. Ave, Yiri, Tzimeach, Passion, Midos, Chesed, Gvur. And the lowest is Doimim, Silence, Submission, Surrender. Doimim, Yiri Tata. Doimim is below Midos. But in the Shairish, it's higher than Midos. When the Shairish comes out, it's higher than Yosef. But, you don't start that way. You start with Midas being higher. You don't say right away, this is higher. Because, it's not true. That's, it's a process. It's not real. Even though it is higher. Can you give examples that you can search in three ways? I'll try. Let me try. What are the exa- what are, what, what you means to in three ways? Smack you in the face. No? Smack you in the face. You want to know which level that is? Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's the issue here. What is Yiritata? So you say Yiritata, somebody smacks you in the face and says, this is what we do. And scares the living daylights out of you. Because this is what we do. Is it a high level of Yira? No, it's a low level of Yira, but it's Yira. And you're a diamond. You feel like a diamond. You feel lifeless, dead, silent. That's the most important thing. Silent. Silence. Shamed and silenced. That's what doimim is. Doimim iloshin dumb. Very good. <laughs> you were told you were dumb and you start believing it. I once had a teacher who, let's put it this way, he didn't have a PhD in pedagogy. And he turned to the class and he said, I'm greater than the Maharal of Prague. He had one goylam and I have 19. <laughs> And he said, and I'm even greater because his goylam didn't speak. And my 19 goylams actually opened their mouth and talk. Okay? So this was a great, great confidence builder for me and my comrades. Fine. 
So, Yiritato, that's not Yiritato. That's Yira, but it's not Yiritato. <laughs> it's actually Pachat. It's actually Pachat more than Yira. Yiritato is, has a lot of depth in it, but it's still the lower level of Yira. It's not Yirila. What's the difference between these three models, which is basically Yehuda today, Yosef today, and Yehuda in the future. Now when I say the future, I have to say future doesn't mean the future. Future means when you see everything. Future means when all the doors of perception are cleansed and all reality emerges. And the Rambam says, I said, Olam Haba is not the future, it's now also. It's just, it's a certain state of consciousness. So the future could be now. The Gemara says about the Ovis and the Babas in the first period, they saw the world during their lifetime. It's a certain perspective. So when I say Yehud in the future, it's Yehud now. It's just how you look at it now. It's a certain, it's a certain type of, of, of vision. It's a certain set of glasses that gives you a prescription and a perspective to be able to see it in a certain way. So what's the difference between these three Pchinas? Midois, we can understand, the middle level. Midois means a person is inspired. What makes me inspired? I love the relationship. Talk about friends. Why are you my friend? Why talk about a marriage? Talk about any relationship. A relationship between parents and children, between close friends, between spouses. The relationship is inspiring to me. I love spending time with you. You enrich my life. You enhance my life. You give me pleasure. You give me love. You give me warmth. You give me nature, nurture. You accept me. I love your brilliance, I love your depth, I love your kindness, I love your humor, I love your truthfulness, your integrity, whatever it is, your personality, your disposition, you're meaningful to me. You're meaningful to me. There's something about you that makes my life meaningful, enjoyable, passionate, exciting. You give life to me. Not dread, but life. Such Avodah Hashem is an inspiring Avodah Hashem. A Jew who's inspired by his Yiddishkeit. He's inspired by Torah, he's inspired by davening, he's inspired by mitzvahs, he's inspired by Shabbos, he's inspired by his Avodah Hashem. He's an inspired, or she is an inspired Jew. Of course, that itself is multifaceted and multidimensional. There's trees and there's bushes and there's a cedar tree, but the common denominator is there's growth, there's vegetation, there's time. You look at the person, there's life. There's no lifelessness. Yiritata is not that. Yiritata is submission. Yiritata is a sense of awe. Yiritata is a sense of commitment, meaning I actually don't feel excited. I'm actually not in the mood. I'm not passionate about it. I don't feel the passion. But I am committed. But now I ask you a question. Why am I committed? Why am I committed? Did somebody smack me in the face? So I have no choice but to be committed. Is that Yiritata? That's not Yiritata. The reason that's not Yiritata is because I'm not really committed. I'm forced. Whenever you're forced into something, you're not in a relationship. Yiritata is a relationship. It's a relationship that we call a lower level of Yirit, but it's a relationship. What makes it a relationship? I'll tell you what makes it a relationship. What makes it a relationship is I am committing myself to an inner value that I have. That value may not be something that right now excites me to the point that I have no resistance. I may have resistance. But it's a value that I have. I'm committed to something that is meaningful to me. It's a value. 
something that I value, and therefore, yes, it requires surrender. Because there may be other emotions or instincts that are contradicting it, that are undermining it. And here, here, let's translate it as fear. Fear of what? Fear of losing my deepest value. Fear of losing that which is very important to me. Fear of losing a relationship that's very precious. Doesn't mean I have no distractions. I have. I have. I have a lot of resistance. I have times that I'm completely not in the mood. It may be a value, not in the mood. I told you once, ask anybody. Go around show this morning. And ask people, in the hierarchy of your priorities in life, where does health come into the picture? And everybody will tell you, top two, three, right? But it's always top three. How much time a day do you spend on it? So they'll say once a year, twice a year, right? What happened? They're lying. They're not lying. Because what may be a very deep value, person will tell you, what's the top value? They're my children. <laughs> And how much time a day do you spend with your children? Uh, three and a half minutes. When your wife is already finished texting after nine, nine times, when are you coming home? So what happened? What's your lowest value spending time in the office? Why are you there 18 hours a day? What's <laughs> your lowest value? This for the children. Huh? This for the children. Okay. For you. I'm glad to hear. But the point is, sometimes there is resistance. There are other forces. So there is an element of yiratata where the person makes a commitment, determination. But there's a, what, what, what makes it doimim? What makes it doimim is, I don't feel the passion. I may completely not feel the passion. I know something is right, and therefore I'm committed to it. What makes me know that it's right? That's, that you could discuss. But when I tell somebody, if you don't do this, I will kill you. Or as they used to do this, remember this with the sticks on the finger, right? I force you into something, and I tell you you're a klutz, you're dumb, you don't matter. You really don't matter. All I need for you is to robotically display obedience so you could fit in, because you're really only a screw in this community. And just to make sure you're screwed in, and when you do that, I'll take care of you. The moment you stick out, you're done. And that's the message. It looks like Yehuda. It looks like Doimim. <laughs> it has similarities of Doimim. But just like Yeruvim is a distortion of Yosef, this is a distortion of Yehuda. And the reason it's a distortion of Yehuda is because you turn the person into a zombie. There's no relationship. There's no Yira. What you did was is you made the person feel that he doesn't exist. So if you don't exist, there's no choices. If you don't exist, you don't matter. So I is still there in Yehuda. We said that the I is really not so. The I is still there in Yehuda. What's Kaifa Noisi Atshayamaraitzani? The Ramam says in Hilchus Geirishim that the Kaifa Noisi is external because you're trying to bring out the Raitzani which is real. So the Rambam says the Kaifa Noisi is external because really Raitzani, but he himself is not in touch with his own values, what he really believes in. So you need to help him bring out that value. Yeah? You said that Yeratata is a commitment to inner values. Is there a difference between this and Yerat Shemayim or something different? Well, that's the ultimate value. So Yeratata is Yerat Yeah, let's talk about Yerat Shemayim or Kabbalah's El Malchus Shemayim. What's Kabbalah's El Malchus Shemayim? I accept the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. 
but it's an appreciation that Malchus Shamayim is a yoke I want to accept upon myself. The first has to be an I to be able to accept that yoke. Well, there has to be an understanding that there's a Malchus Shamayim that's worth accepting a yoke. Huh? Yeah. When I when I'm drafted, when I go to the army, when I go into the army to serve the country, not every moment is going to be exciting. Some moments are going to be very, very difficult. But I make a commitment to carry for my country, my duty, what do they say? Duty, country, uh, honor, duty, country. Kabbalah's ol Malchus Shemayim. But there's an appreciation of Malchus Shemayim. Malchus Shemayim is something I want to accept a yoke of. A yoke means sometimes it's a yoke. A yoke means sometimes it's heavy. I'm not flying. I don't feel a fire, a bren. I don't feel it. Instead, I look at myself and I see that I'm doimim. I submit. I acquiesce. I'm dedicated. I'm committed. This is yire tata, which is higher. You can't compare. Take the two marriages. There's one guy who comes home, he's on fire with, with passion to his family, to his wife, to his kids, to his whole home. There's another person who before he walks, also on fire the other way, before he walks into the house, he does a meditation and he says, okay, life is not about me, life is not about me, life is not about me. I'm committed to this marriage, I'm committed to this relationship. You can't compare, right? There's a blend, there's a fire. He, he may be a great guy, the second guy. Kvaldika person, in many ways, wow. You know, he has a lot of Yetzirahs. He would love to run here, love to run there, love to run there. He would like to be here and there with the Gantzavelt. But nonetheless, he has an appreciation of things that are valuable, maybe in his mind, maybe deep in his heart, maybe from life experiences, maybe because of his faith, maybe because he's not dumb. He doesn't want to lose his family, he doesn't want to lose his spouse, he loves his children. Doesn't mean every moment he's so in not necessarily sometimes our deepest cores and commitments may be concealed. <coughs> and therefore we have to be driven by a sense of duty and commitment, which is a yoke. And it looks like diamond. And it's Haida, it's not Yosef, it's Haida, it's submission. It's a sense of submission. It's a, it's, it's, it's a certain yoke. And that's the concept of doyman. It's called Yira Tata, the lower level of Yira. What makes it a lower level of Yira? Because there's a certain alienation. And I have to really tell myself that I'm afraid. It's really about fear. I'm afraid to lose something valuable. I may not feel love. I may not be capable of feeling love. I'm, I'm only capable of feeling fear. I'm afraid to lose this. I don't want to lose God. I don't want to lose my soul. I'm afraid to lose such a valuable thing. This has nothing to do with abuse. Nothing to do with abuse. Every real person grows tremendously through this experience. Nothing to do with abuse. This is articulating to people, what do you really care about, and are you ready to sacrifice for it? Because you're not always going to be flying high with what you care about. There are moments and there are moments. And you have to think about long term. You have a job. Sometimes you love it and sometimes you don't. So why do you go work? Why do you go work? Why don't you not go work? Stay in bed. Stay in bed. Because you're abused. It's not called abuse. Because, as you say, you want to be able to support your family. And that means something to you. Am I always excited about the prospects? Am I always excited about how I do it? Am I excited? Of course not. The same is true with Avodah Sasha. 
And in many ways, some people's Avedis Hashem, their whole life is like this. Their whole life. Now there are people that their whole Avedis Hashem is abusive. What do I mean abusive? Nobody ever spoke to them about what matters. Nobody ever spoke to them about an inner value. Nobody ever spoke to them about what Malchus Shemayim means. All they drove into their hearts was that they're going to burn. That if they don't put on certain tights, and somebody told me they taught them in school, they have pots, and they put in water 2,000 degrees, and the mother takes the children and puts the feet into those pots of water because of the way they dress. This is not a normal way. This is how you teach people to despise Judaism, to despise God forever. This is abusive. Which normal God operates like this? You don't teach this to people. Why? This is not called Yiritata. This is not a concept of Yir. This is not about it. There's no value in this relationship. This is basically the SS. That's what people don't understand. They think. They're talking about God. They're displaying a God who is a tyrant, who's very cruel, who's a monster. And it's when people grow up, they suffer. A lot of people suffer from this terribly because of the incompetence of teachers and parents and educators to speak about truth in an elegant, empowering, sophisticated, ennobling, and soulful way. And the worst is when... It's associated with Derech HaBal Shemtev, which is abuse within abuse. Because the whole Baal Shemtev came to teach something else. Okay? This is not Yiri Law. What's Yiri Law? Yiri Law is something else. Yiri Law is deeper than inspiration. What does it mean it's deeper than inspiration? How can it be deeper than inspiration? Yiri law is what we spoke about. Vayihi kenagin hamenagin, vatihi alav ruach Hashem. Yiri law, the higher level of awe, is not the higher level of fear. Meaning, one level of fear is you have a gun to my head somewhere, and the higher level of fear is you strike fear. And it's another way. You say if you don't do it, you're not going to get a good shidduch. <laughs> That's yiri law. Yiri tatoz, you're going to get abused, and you're going to be thrown out of the community. And Yiri Law is, if you want to get a good shidduch, you want a father who's going to support you for 29 years, you better shape up. This is Sheker V'chaz, nothing to do with a relationship. It creates toxic, neurotic situations. It's not even Yiri Sainsh. It's not even Yiri Sainsh. I think we all had rabbis that did that, though. No, I mean, I think that's what everybody's thinking. I can tell. You're saying that's not the way? You're saying everybody here was, was, was treated. So I, I don't know where you came from, Mars, but, you know, we had, we had to go to Yeshiva here on Earth. So. That was a take from your own. What would have you gotten for saying this in class? I never would have said it in class. I couldn't even go to the ba- ask to go to the bathroom in class. I'd rather right. turn purple. And, that, and that's your tata. You're scared to ask to go to the bathroom. Yeah, here is like, uh, you know, I, I, could, I don't have to come back tomorrow. My, my mother's not going to send me back to, you know, Yushir. We have our own ways. We'll find you, we'll find you. We have our own ways. We have the KGB and Google. We have the KGB. here is thinking the opposite of what you're saying. I can just tell by looking at the face. Uh, we, we, it was corrupted. We're saying it's a proper way, it's a proper path. We want to put on the proper path. You have to reject it. 
What is Yiri law? What is Yiri law? Yiri law is, it's, it's hard to describe in words. Yiri law means, I don't need to be inspired. I'm not looking for self actualization and for self expression. You know why? Because the relationship becomes so profound with God that the I becomes a complete conduit for infinity. And therefore, in the ultimate relationship, there's no sense of I. And therefore, even the sense of passion and inspiration becomes bottled to the doymim. The tzimeach becomes a din in the doymim. Here, the doymim is actually elevated to a place that's beyond the tzimeach. I'm silent not because I don't care. I'm silent because I am so connected to the truth that there's no eye outside of the truth, and therefore the eye does not make any noise. What's the yira then? Why is that yira? So yira shouldn't be translated as fear. Yira should be translated as awe. As awe. I remember I went to the Grand Canyon the first time, so I read a lot about it, but when I, so I knew what I'm going to see. But when I saw it, I remember for like 30 seconds, I lost my standing, my holding, my, my breath stopped. Why? Not because I understood something, because the image consumed me. It, 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 it's beyond. it overwhelmed me. There was no I. It, don't worry, it came back after 30 seconds. It's fine. But, uh, but what about if you're in that state forever? Moshe, he says, is that's why he never speaks. He's kvad peh or kvad loshen. Moshe's doimim. Why is Moshe doimim? Not because he doesn't have what to say. Because that which there is to say can't be said. Because there's no eye that's separate from God's eye. So the human consciousness becomes a musical instrument. I am the music, and the music is me. So much as he's purity in everyone, he just sees... He operates there, yeah. On the contrary, all speaking is a compromise of that. Speaking means... I am, and I have a certain sense, and I'm going to communicate this. And Moshe is completely one with a higher truth. He's just a conduit. There's When you're absorbing, you can't emit. If you're listening to a Shia, and you're trying to grasp every word, and somebody says, what did he say? What did he... Shh, shh. Why shh? What did he say? What did... You can't speak now. Because every word... Even if it's about the shi, is a distraction. What is it a distraction of? It's a distraction of your antennas absorbing to the point that you don't exist then. Now, a perpetual state of that relationship means not that the person doesn't exist. The person exists so profoundly that their existence doesn't have to be. To be or to be not. They exist so profoundly that the be not is a far truer form of existence. They exist so profoundly that they don't have to be separate and therefore they don't have to stand up for their separateness because they're completely comfortable with being not because their I is an expression of infinity. Now this can only happen if you trust somebody completely. In other words, it has to happen with God. It has to happen with God. So here is now the, one of the big, big questions. And it's a question today. Do you put all your eggs in one basket? What do you say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meaning, do you trust 
somebody or something all the way. You put your whole soul in one basket. Or you say, no, you can get abused. Keep a distance. Always remain objective. Be inspired by people, but remain critical. Remain detached. Is there ever a point that you surrender, you surrender everything? Not just 50%. With the Aver. With the Aver. So I want to tell you an interesting experience. It's, it's, <laughs> there was a Jew, Chaim Potak. And he rings a bell for anybody? Yeah. Ah, chosen. The Chosen. My name is Ashalev. The Book of Light. Right, but there was a personality. So, he's interviewed by Ted Koppel. Anybody knows who Ted Koppel is? From the great, from the great capitalists of our generation. <laughs> so, Chaim Patek is interviewed by Ted Koppel. And I listened to the interview years ago. And... Uh, He's interviewing Ted, he's interviewing Chaim Potak about the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Chaim Potak is a scholar of Hasidism, of mysticism, a conservative rabbi, a novelist. He says, did you ever meet him? He says, I chose not to. I chose not to. I would go to his Fabregans a lot, his gatherings. I chose not to go into his room to meet him. He said, why not? He tells Ted Koppel, I knew about his charisma and his wisdom and I was afraid I would lose my subjectivity. And he needed a critic. He needed somebody who will be on the outside and say, I'm not uh, consumed by you. And if I would go in, that might have ended. I wouldn't be objective about it. So I kept, I kept the distance. It's a very, very interesting remark. I want to remain objective. To remain objective, you never put your eggs in one basket. Kabdeu, v'chashdeu. When you have to be cynical and negative, but always question. Always say, whoa, 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 whoa. A cult, not a cult. For real, not for real. In a year from now, will he backstab me and my family? And there's a reason for this. We all know about people who sell their souls to gurus, you'll forgive me, to certain rabbis, rabbis, tzaddikim, quote-unquote, teachers, mystics, leaders. And what do they do? At a moment of truth, they will throw you under the train, under the bus, consciously or unconsciously, maliciously or inadvertently, knowing what they do, or even worse, clueless. And, and, and your heart is ripped out and you're left with nothing. And then two years later, a new guru gets you. And you sell your soul again, and they rip your heart out, and you do it another five, six, seven times, and then you say, you know what? I trust nobody ever again. And even when you come to look at the Torah, you sit like this for many months, and everything, you always ask yourself, where is he going? What is this going to do? What's the objective? What's the etc. Every all, all the intelligent people here, what goes through your mind at certain times? I don't have to elaborate, so you shouldn't think that I read anybody's mind. But I read my own mind, right? I want to know if Chaim Potek is right or not right. I want to know is Chaim Potek. I understand Chaim Potek very well. Is he right or wrong? 
Here's a valid point. Here's a valid point. So let me tell you. Chayim Potak is 100% right, and Chayim Potak is 100% wrong. Depends who you're talking about. Chayim Potak is 100% right. You live in a world where you have to be very critical. Because if not, if you become subjectively consumed by actors and by charlatans, and by con artists, and even by good-meaning people. But they're clueless. They don't know what you need. They may mean well. They may be a leader or a rabbi who may mean well. But he can destroy you because he'll give you stupid advice that you accept. And it's not for you. It's not for you, it's not for your kids. He doesn't know you, doesn't appreciate, doesn't respect you. He may be a nice guy, but it's not Not every person who's nice is Rabban Shalkol Bnei Agayla. And not everybody who does Daf Yoimi and does some programs and knows a few Blat Gemara Balpeh, becomes an expert on what a generation needs. Maybe this is heresy. Not everybody who knows Toysvis has his finger on the pulse of a generation. The Gemara says, The Gemara says, Tamad Chacham She'em Boi Das, Nevele Toivahimeno. Tamad Chacham who has no Das, a corpse of an animal is better than him. So the Efeiter says, why? Say he's like a Nevele. He says, at least a Nevele stays in one place. He walks around. Sometimes you have a person aimed by das. Got it. That's Chaim Patek's point. Chaim Patek says, I will not give that up. But now, I would dare to ask Chaim Patek a question. My brother asked him this question. Publicly, when he spoke about this. So I'm paraphrasing my brother. And I want you to understand the question with sensitivity. Don't understand it in terms of Jewish politics. Like we like to classify everything with politics. Understand with sensitivity. Mr. Wood, I want to ask you a question. If you were leaving, if you were the generation that left Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and Moshe Rabbeinu said, we're going to go to Har Sinai, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> By Yom HaShlishi, on the third day, God is going to come down. And you know, once God comes down, you will not be able to be <laughs> objective about the life about creation, about the universe, and about Torah. Would Chayim Potak say, I'm not going to stand at Maimed Har Sinai, because somebody has to remain objective. Somebody has to say, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe Torah is a myth. It's healthy. It's healthy. Maybe. Would Chayim Potak be that man? And number two, would you think it's an intelligent decision to make? Maybe it's a sacrifice. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe it's a tipshus. Why? Because if it's truth, it's, it's true. So here is now where I'm going to argue with Chaim Potak after displaying how much I like what he said on one level. What's the point of objectivity? What's the point of objectivity? Objectivity is something to worship? Then it's the worst subjectivity. The point of objectivity is to find truth. And if when you find truth, you refuse to accept it because I remain objective, you are the most subjective, non-objective person that exists in the world. Because when you found it, you deny it because you worship your objectivity. God is your... Objectivity for you is a god. It's an idol. You're not objective. You're 
you are uh, paralyzed by your objectivity. You will remain stuck in your objectivity, and therefore you're not capable of losing yourself, even in a moment when you should lose yourself, because you recognize that it's truth. As long as you don't recognize that it's true, be critical. Because if not, you could be abused. But is there a point in life where you could see that you're dealing here with something that will never abuse you, something that can't abuse you? For example, if a person like Moshe Rabbeinu Olav HaShalom is really v'nachnuma, meaning a person, there's no I, you're a conduit, by that you won't be abused. And if I don't put all my eggs in that basket, then what do I do? I deprive myself from a relationship, for real. Why? Because, remember, which part, which egg don't you put in the basket? Which egg do you hold back? The most important one. The one that determines what's true or not. The one that has your soul. The one that's helping you hold back, and you know holding back is harder than not holding back, right? So your deepest part is not in the relationships. What you did was, in the name of objectivity... You remain detached forever from truth. And all you can do is sit back and say, Hooray, 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 I'm objective. I think Chaim Potak was saying, Mi Birash. Mi Birash. What did he if he would have been at Maimon Harsina? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. My brother just told me right after that. It was many years ago. He said, he, said, he, said, he said, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. You see, in our world, in our society, there's so much abuse happening and so many innocent people who were led down a wrong path that the sophisticated ones among us become jaded and then, what you do is, you're not capable of Yiri law. You remain paralyzed by your objectivity, and therefore by your distance, because of fear. And you call it rationality. It's not rationality. It's paralysis. It's not rationality. Objectivity has a destination. The destination is, I want truth. That's the destination. You have this with many scientists. In the name of objectivity, they will deny the obvious. Because <laughs> objectivity is not a journey. That is the destination. Destination is I remain detached, I remain above, and I will invest everything in making sure that we can't discover truth. But what if there is? What if there is? So some argue there's no such a thing as truth. But what if there is? Which is what Maimon Harsinai was all about. Go there. You'll become subjective. So if you consider yourself a Meshuganah and you don't have the mind to distinguish, okay. But at some point you have to tell yourself, I searched and searched and searched, I scrutinized. This is MS. If it's MS, surrender. Have the courage to surrender. V'nachnuma. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's a rabbi that lets you want to surrender to Harsinai, but not everyone wants to surrender to Okay. Fine. Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu was also a rabbi. I think Ruby was.
Maybe he's smart. Maybe you're dumb and he's smart. So come back come back to a minute to your Thank you very much. So Tata, I think the way you described it is going on a diet. Yes. You're committed to it? Yes. And it's hard. It's hard. You're committed to it. You're in it. It's not just fear. It's means of commitment to something deeper. However, there's two reasons, let's say, I choose to go on a diet. One is because I have faith in the idea that I've been told that otherwise my risk of heart disease is higher diabetes. So I have faith. I may not feel that I might not ever be able to relate to that, but it's based on a sort of a blind faith. The other is at some level, I remember the times before in my life that I did the diet, I really, really felt better. I, I really, re- I have a some um, uh, incohate idea in my mind that there was a gishma. Right. So in certain era tata, there's also a little bit of the mythos. Because I remember that I felt, right. in, so to speak, inspired. Some inspiration. And at other times, it's, it's, it's just, just based on It's on just submission. It's horrible. It's, it's, it's that guy who's... Uh, Maybe a stroke victim who needs therapy. No, so this is very, very insightful in terms of when you're dealing with people in terms of behavioral change like diet because you're telling them to do this year at all. So either you can convince them, which often you can't. They right. juggle all the papers and the books. They have to trust. Unless they once felt it. So the point is, even in Yehuda, I think for Yehuda to develop, he had to have felt at some point a Yosef. Right. Otherwise, he's, it's going to be hard for him to, to remain Yehuda. Right. Right. I want to read you an email I received from somebody, a therapist from Williamsburg, or near Williamsburg, who listened to some of the shirim on this mimer, and he wrote me a uh, an email about an experience he had that I thought would be helpful to illustrate um, one of the main points here in the mimer that we want to summarize here today, Bezer Hashem. I'm going to read it, uh, it's a long email, but I'm going to read it almost verbatim. It basically tells a story. I once had a client, he was a religious man, he was married with a large family, and he told me, this is the therapist from Williamsburg, he told me that he wanted to throw everything away, buy a motorcycle, and move alone to uh, some far country and start all over again. He was very serious about this. He already told his wife about his plans, leaving the family, abandoning the kids. He already bought a motorcycle. He already spent time in different interesting places to feel it out, feel what it is to be a real free, uninhibited man. Anybody here with these uh, with these issues? Motorcycle. Motorcycle. Okay, but not not running away yet. Okay. You have a motorcycle. And you come here with your motorcycle. Okay. This is this was his running away. When he so the therapist writes to me when he came to me. Ah, uh, what do you think? Motorcycle. You want to know if he would still put on a bit of Tom's filling? What do you want to know? If you would use a Hadas Shir Chazaynish, what do you think? You'll take a guess. When he came to me, he had been struggling with the idea for leaving over a year. It was a typical struggle between what I feel I want to do and what I feel I have to do. What I feel I want to do is, I don't want to be married, I don't want to have kids, I don't want to be in a religious community, I don't want to be confined, I don't want to be oppressed, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. 
This is what I feel I have to do. This is what I have to do. I have responsibility to my wife, to my kids, to my God, to my community. One of the first questions I as a therapist asked him was, what's holding you back? It's already a year and you have a motorcycle. Why don't you just leave? You told your wife already. So he went into a tirade about telling me how sick and tired he is of living his whole life based on what he has to do versus on what he wants to do. So I asked him again, so you're sick and tired, so what's holding you back? Why don't you just do it? He gave me a puzzled look, and for six months, we spent time exploring this question. The question of what's holding you back? Just do it. In the end, he discovered a ton of values that he'd never spoke about. He had a love for his children. He had gratitude to his wife. He had a desire not to hurt his innocent wife because she was very innocent. He had a desire to have meaningful human connections. He had a desire to see himself as a giving person and other values. And they all made him decide to stay with the family. He did have to move far away from his community and completely change his style of Yiddishkeit, which was not working for him. In this scenario, his initial conflict was between obedience, responsibility versus self-actualization. One voice in him said, become your own person, have fun, do what you want to do. Another voice in him said, you got to be home at 6 o'clock and do homework and prepare Dvartaira for Shabbos. Everyone he spoke to before he came to therapy, his Rav, his Rabbi, his wife, himself, they all framed the conflict as a choice between two mutually exclusive options. One option is self-expression. One option is obedience and self-abnegation. By asking him what was holding him back, instead of harping on his responsibility, he was able to notice that there was something holding him back that had nothing to do with obedience. And that on a deeper level, his self-actualization lay in letting go of his dream to run away from his family with a motorcycle and in being obedient and responsible to his own inner values. So his whole life, everybody forced on him a split. The split was, will you either be you, or are you going to sell your soul to the community, to the religion, to the family, to the God, to the rabbis, to the Hasidists, whatever, to the Yish- whatever it is, his whole life, and he was sick and tired of it. When am I going to become me? I understood this, and therefore the therapist says, I stopped talking about that. I wanted to know what's holding him back. Like, why aren't you at peace with this decision? Is it all because you're frightened of society? Or maybe there are voices in you that you need to become familiar with. And he basically realized that there was something beyond obedience to outer forces. There was a voice of obedience to himself, but not to his outer self, to his inner self. I find, in my experience, that people come into therapy like this all the time. And when you ask them what their deepest desires are, they look at you like you're from Mars. Nobody addresses with people their deeper desires. What are their deepest values? What are their deepest priorities? What do they really care about? But these values and deepest desires are probably 
the most practical and concrete connection that we have to ourselves, to our own truth, in the world of machshava. On a practical level, we're not teaching people to explore what's really important to them, what they really value. Some people even feel that it's kfira, it's heresy, to entertain such thoughts. Imagine if our education system helped people explore their true values. That's the letter. I thought this was a very valuable insight. Can read the last line again? About education? Yes. Oh, that's where he came to life. On a practical level, we're not teaching our children, we're not teaching people to explore what's really important to them, what they really value, who they really are. Some people even feel that it's heresy to entertain such thoughts. Imagine if our education system helped people explore their true values. So as profound as it is, but at the end of the day, if you go back to what we were saying Friday, really what he was, what he got, what he gained at the end was still Yeratata. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is the lowest level of this mimer. This experience, which is very valuable, and let's face it, you could live your whole life by this paradigm. And it's a good life. It's a meaningful life. It's a valuable life. It's a precious life. And it has great moments of joy as well. This is the lowest level of this mimer. I'm calling it lowest. It's not low at all. It's the paradigm of Yehuda pre-Yosef. It's the paradigm of Yehuda Bizman Hazel below Yosef. It's not a life where I am necessarily always, or even often, feeling this tremendous passion. Now I'll use a metaphor that Dr. Michelle gave on Friday. From, I guess, his experience with people, it's called dieting. He says, most dieting goes into Yiritata. There's no way that a person who has to go on a diet is always passionate about his diet. And those of us who struggle with food, food addiction or just food in generally, we don't like calling it an addiction, but it's usually, it's usually more or less uh, uh, one of the, I mean, similar to it at least. Just even if you're committed to it, right, what are you committed to? So when you come to your breakfast, to your lunch, your supper, there's certain things you will not touch. I'm talking about people who are doing it, not people who are committing to it every day anew. You know, after, after the next bar mitzvah, they start the diet, after the next chas, and after the brachas is over. We don't want people who committed to it. It's not like they're so passionate about their choices that they absolutely have no inclination in the other direction. No, what's required is a certain form of obedience, a certain form of doimim, a form of surrender, of submission, where you have to tell yourself, I know I would love to eat this, but I'm not going to. But why am I not going to? Because I'm afraid of my wife? because I'm afraid of the community, because I'm going to be excommunicated. On the contrary, if I want to be part of the community, I should actually weigh much more and I'll fit in much better. I should eat everything on the table and it would be socially much more acceptable. I shouldn't stop anything. On the contrary, the social norm is just, you know, to, to take it all in. So what is causing this person to be in a state of surrender? It's not an outside alien force that's imposing itself upon him. It's rather, I would say, a commitment to an inner value. The inner value may be something simple. I want to feel better. 
I want to have more energy. I want to live longer. I want to be able to come home and spend time with my children and my wife. I want to be able to accomplish more. I know the consequences. <laughs> I know where I was six months ago. I know where I was two years ago. I felt lethargic, heavy. I was in a bad mood. I was angry. I was not interested in life because we know what we eat affects our moods very, very profoundly. Everybody knows that, probably. And therefore, it's a commitment to an inner value. It's not always an outer value, meaning externally I may revolt against it and sometimes I'm going to cheat, you know, enough. It's, 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 remember, the, 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 the unhealthier the food is, the better it looks. It's just how God made it. Uh, somehow lettuce never has that same look like ice cream. I don't know why. Somehow cheesecake invites you. I never saw kale uh, inviting you emotionally. It doesn't tell you, hey, come into me. Take, ingest me into your bloodstream and I'll be here for you forever. Cheesecake tells that to you. Cheesecake has this romantic, uh, it's like roses, you know, for women. Cheesecake for men is like red roses or lilies for, for women. It, it has this look. It tells you, bring me into your system and I will remain your best friend forever. Really? At least for 20 minutes till you have to go to the bathroom. You're really waxing poetic huh? about this. I'm very poetic. <laughs> Listen, people... All the experience can bring you to that. Yes. <laughs> huh? Depends which cheesecake. I mean, if there's marble inside, what, 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 what do you mean? You want to explain to us? Mm. What a cheesecake is a mitzvah? That's the first time I hear. Huh? Cheesecake? Oh, a mitzvah? Ramah says, Machale Chalav. I don't know that cheesecake. Machale Chalav, you could be yotze with an ounce of milk. You put, take a coffee, you put in an ounce of milk into your coffee, you a yotze machale chalav and <laughs> A spoon of cheesecake, you a yotze machale chalav and shvuas. Ramah didn't even have a musag of something called uh, blintzelach and eggplant parmesans and cheesecakes and macaroni with cheese and pastas with cheese, etc., etc. But we have also didn't have a concept of this. Association, association between Hasidim and unhealthy foods is one of the great distortions of contemporary religious Hasidic history, trust me. The Chlal, the association between Jewish religion and food obsession, one of the great distortions of modern Jewish religion. You should just know that. Um, the Magen Avram writes in Hilche Shabbos that there's an Indian to be toyim on Erev Shabbos, mikol tafshel v'tafshel. So I once saw a guy... In a particular place, there was a in hotels. They have tayameha rooms. Tayameha rooms means before Shabbos they have more food than they're going to have a whole weekend. So a guy was going mamish from this. So I said, you won't be able to eat tonight. He says the magen avram. They have to be time kol tafshin. So there, by the magen avram, there were maybe two tafshilim Friday night, and they were tiny. So he was tying from this. He was tying from this. Magen avram didn't know that there's going to be approximately. 39 tafshilim just for the first course. 39 dips just for the first course. Okay, fine. But let's not get too derailed over here. So this is all a state. These are all examples, of course. He's not talking about food or motorcycles, but they're all metaphors and symbolic of the concept of daimon. Why, do, why, why, why is this so important? Because people make the mistake and they think that daimon means abuse. People think that Kabbalah's oil malchus shamayim means a right to oppress people in the name of God. But this is a pedagogical mistake, and it's a Jewish mistake. That's not what doyma means. 
That's not what surrender means. That's not what Moide Manach means. It's not what Moide Ani means. It's not what Yehuda means. It means I surrender various voices, forces, instincts, inclinations, addictions, dispositions that undermine what is a true value. Now, the definition of a true value, Judaism has a lot to say about that, but it has nothing to do with oppressing who you are. I would say it has much more to do with actually expressing what is most meaningful about you and what is most important for you in your life. That is why, right, when a, uh, a, bach, a yeshiva bacha once came to me and he said, he was very turned off, I got some ice, I'm not going to get into details, but he said that uh, his whole education, the way it worked was, whenever he was in school and his teacher would say, you have to do this, or his father would say, you have to do this, and he says they were always in a bad mood. They were in a very bad mood. And he would turn to his father, and he would say, or his teacher, and he would say, what's the logic? What's the logic behind this? And you know, kids are very smart, so they always get you. <laughs> they get you when you're being illogical, right? What's the logic? And they would get even more angry, and they said, I don't have to tell you the logic. This is what you have to do. They'd say, but why? why? Why do you want the class to do this? Like, what's the benefit? It's just wasting everybody's time. And he would always use the same words, Kabbalah's oil. Kabbalah's oil. Kabbalah's oil are two majestic words of Judaism. But what happened to him was this. By using those two words, Kabbalah's oil, I want you to understand the mistake this person made. He probably did not do it intentionally. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But he made a pedagogical historic mistake. He made this boy believe that Kabbalah's oil means whenever something doesn't make sense and is actually stupid and it's just I'm in a bad mood and I can't get off my high horse and it's embarrassing for me to say I made a terrible mistake and my temper is really burning and I don't know how to get off the mountain and climb down gracefully. So the two words I introduce into the vocabulary are Kabbalah's oil. Kabbalah's oil is an excuse for telling people to do what doesn't make sense to them or to me, and make it still sound holy and valuable. I told, I told the teacher, I said, it's a terrible crime what you're doing, and I'll tell you why. The word Kabbalah cell comes from Mishnayis Masech Tebrachas. Gadeshi Yekabel Alav, Oil, Malchus, Shamayim, Tchila. Kabbalah soil has two words after that. Malchus, Shamayim accepting the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. This means not when something is a mishagas, you should do it, because I said you should do it. And the reason you have to do it is because Kabbalah saw, so his whole life, whenever he hears the word Kabbalah saw, Malcha Shabbat, what does it mean? It means God is in a bad mood, wants me to do it for no reason, but just to crush me, to show me who's boss. How... How exciting can you be about such a life? How exciting, how meaningful can that be? The word is not exciting, but how meaningful can it be? Kabbalah Malch Shamayim is really a very profound idea. It's the oil of Malchus Shamayim. It's not the oil of a person with a bad temper who can't control himself and therefore lost it, and instead of saying, I'm sorry, will drive me crazy to obey him at all expenses. Malchus Shamayim is a whole different oil. It's the oil of somebody who created you, somebody who loves you, 
Somebody who wants you to be successful, somebody who wants you to optimize your life, somebody who wants you to maximize your potential, somebody who wants you to live life to the fullest, somebody who wants you to be happy physically and spiritually. And yes, he creates a yoke on you. Not unlike a personal trainer. Where's the first one? He went to train somebody. Okay. Not unlike a... You're also a personal trainer. No, but it's okay. Maybe one day. One day I'm working on it. Not unlike a personal trainer who sits with you in the gym and puts a yoke and says another push-up and another... I'm dying! I'm dying! No, no. So you're going to say he's cruel? So why are you paying him? (laughs) Why in the world are you paying somebody to torture you? Which is a good question. It's a good question. The answer is, I'm paying him, people will say, because he's bringing out the best of me, because if not, I'll be lazy. Oh, that's good, upgetached. Because if not, I'll be lazy. So is your greatest value laziness, or is your greatest value productivity, health, self-actualization? This doesn't mean I'm in the mood. This means sometimes I need somebody to schlep me out of bed and say, we're doing it. I don't want tough luck. But it's a good tough luck. There's the chilek. You understand the difference? It's two different systems. It's the same oisius. You don't always do what you want to do. But what do I hear in that? Some kids hear, you don't always do what you want to do because you don't matter. Because you don't exist. Because I don't care for you. I step on you. That's wrong. That's immoral. That's not Jewish. It's not Torah. It's against what God thinks about people and about humanity and about individuals. The doimim here is yiritata. Yiritata means a lower level of year. Why is it such a low level of year? It's a low level of year because I have to surrender. What do I have to surrender? A whole bunch of stuff I have to surrender. Whatever it may be. But we all have forces that undermine our inner value. We may even not be conscious of it sometimes. So Kabbalah soil has two words at the end. Not just a yoke, I take a washing machine, I put it on your shoulders, and I say, walk around with a washing machine on your shoulders. Why? Kabbalah soil. Kabbalah soil. Kabbalah soil malchus Aha, it's a yoke of malchus It's a different malchus. Kabbalah soil it's a whole different malchus. That's why you can't discuss with children Kabbalah soil if you don't first discuss with them God. If you don't first teach them about God, you can't teach about Kabbalah soil. Emunah precedes Kabbalah Sal Malchus Because if they don't understand what Malchus Shemayim is, then Kabbalah Sal just becomes an exercise in uh, volatile, irresponsible, and disrespectful behavior towards people and towards children and towards your subjects, people who are under you. So what song, what words are good to say? I mean, I know the song can always get what you want, but I don't know another song to say to a kid who's no, no, a child needs this. Doimim is... We all need it. Everyone needs it. How could you live without this? How could you live if your only philosophy in life is I do only what I'm completely passionate about this moment? Who's going to wake up in the morning? Not nobody. I mean, there's people here who wake up early. Not nobody. But, but who's going to wake up? Who's going to do anything? A person must have an element of submission. Yeah. Ayit came to a Rav once. He says, Ich get. The Rav said, Ver will nisht. This Chacham decides. He wants a get. Okay, we all know. Fine. 
Everyone has moments. Everybody's going to say that they're on fire 24 hours a day. Okay. It's good he's sleeping. Oh, you're welcome. It's early in the game yet. Fine. Good morning. Shine. It's Undecked America. You're the only person who has marital problems nobody in the world has. We all know. Fine. People think their problems are the worst in the world. There's no life without commitment. There's no life that's worth living because we're not saints. We're not always operating on a level of consciousness where there's transparency, where there's no blockages, where there's no obstacles, where there's no trauma, where there's no issues, where there's no luggage, where there's no superficiality, where there's no other fears and insecurities and, and instincts that, that come in. And this is where the person has to have an element of yiritata, which means the lower level of fear or the lower level of awe. It's not such a low level, I'm telling you. It's a pretty, pretty high level. It's pretty lofty and dignified. Relative to the next level, it's called Yeritata. Let's now climb up the ladder. As we climb up the ladder, we come from Doimim to Tzebeach. That is the model of Yosef. What is the model of Yosef? model of Yosef is self-actualization in a very conscious and revealed way. Because really, as I mentioned, the doimim, the yiritatad, is also a very deep element of self-actualization. But I may not always be aware of it. I may not be conscious of it. And sometimes it takes years. You have to fight for yourself. And we all know some of us struggle our whole life with certain instincts that you can't get rid of. And what about if a person, right, is incapable of being in touch with the emotion that can inspire his move? Let's say somebody, I'll give a, uh, maybe a dramatic example. If somebody has a crush on somebody and they know it's not going to take them to good places, they know it, but they don't feel it. And they may have to fight for months and for years, usually for months, maybe not for years, but for, sometimes for years, but for months, doing opposite of what they feel. And it's all about doimim. And it's very, very noble, and it's sometimes very sad. I mean, I have seen people who made sacrifices in life, and there was no way that they can feel the value of what they're doing. All they had was knowledge. They had knowledge, and they had experience of the past. And they had good people advising them, or one good person advising them, not taking advantage and abusing them. But one cannot uh, fail to uh, demonstrate such deep respect and awe to people who make such decisions people who abandon certain relationships that they have been entrenched in. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's awe-inspiring. It's sometimes awe-inspiring because of how much doimim there is over there. It's not semeach. They don't feel the growth. It's like a nisoyen of the akeda. It's mamish like a nisoyen of the akeda. But they're not doing it because of abuse. It's not abuse. It's not abuse. It's because of a commitment to what they know or feel or believe is ultimately the real truth. The truth of life, the truth of their existence, the truth of God, the truth of what they really cherish. I don't call that abuse. People who associate diamond with abuse are making a very bad mistake in education and it costs many victims. Very important to understand. But it's not Tzimeach. Tzimeach is Yosef's model. Tzadik Atama Yifrech Keres Balvon and Yizge. This is what he calls here Ava v'yira versus bitl. Ava v'yira means yira here in the sense of passion. Ava, passion. There's emotion, there's passion, there's feeling, there's experience, there's a sense of beauty, there's a real sense of self-actualization. This is called, you're in a romance with God. You're in a romance with God. Your avoidance Hashem is 
full of passion. Rebbe Yitzchak of Varditchev, the morning of Sukkot, he waited a whole night to be able to bench on the Esrik, and the moment sun rose, sun rises, and Yitzchak of Varditchev sees the Esrik, and he jumps for it. He doesn't realize, of course, that there's a glass a glass door separating his hands from the esteric, and his hand goes right through the glass. He takes his esteric, and he wonders why the whole esteric becomes red. Why a yellow esteric suddenly turned into red. Okay. I don't have that feeling, Alois HaShachar Sukkos. I mean, I, I like shaking the lulav of an esteric, it's exciting, and so on and so forth, but if there's a glass door, I'm not going to break the glass. But he was in a romance with God. <coughs> He once went to one of the other tzaddikim, I think we're Baruch Hu Mezhebush, and, uh, and uh, we're going to soon be by the Badet Shiva. So, uh, but it was full of his spilus, he was full of emotion. I think it was the Rebbe, the Baruch Hu of Mezhebush, the grandson of the Moshem. So he asked if he could stay with him Shabbos. So he said, he said you could stay, but without unspringen and untansen, without you jumping and dancing. If you make a commitment, it's good. So he says, no problem, he made a commitment. Came Shabbos by the tish, by the meal. So somebody came out with fish. Plate of fish, one of the people. They turn to the Badit Shavirov and they say, Evil tashtikl fish? You want a piece of fish? He jumps up, he says, Fish milich? Fish milich? Elekus milich? Ich will elekus, ich will gatlachkeit. And he jumps up on the table and he starts dancing. Fish milich? Elekus milich? Ain't safe, I don't want fish. But the whole table, the whole place turns over. But Sai Shabbos, he goes into the Rebarach and he asks Mechila. He asks Mechila for what he did. He says, no, 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 it was perfect. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't prepared for before Shabbos. You made a commitment as good, it was perfect. Okay, so this is the Baditshever. But it, it represents a concept as a person. We all know sometimes you're in a relationship and you are very excited about it. And you don't come to the Rav and start asking for ways out. And you don't have to tell yourself this is the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, but I'm crazy about it too. I'm in love. I'm emotionally inspired. I'm enthusiastic. I feel the growth. Sometimes you're in exercise and you don't have to force yourself. There's a point where you're just flying, right? People who jog and they talk about the high... Anybody knows about these things? They talk about the high. They're not forcing themselves. They look forward to it. This is where they express themselves. The same is true in terms of Ruchni's Lahavdul. The same is true in terms of Avedis Hashem. The same is true in terms of some people daven. And for them, davening is the moment they wait for, for the day. It's like a highlight. Yeah, that's why Yosef and Yudah are not two people. They're two people in each person. Sometimes in one thing you're like this, and in one thing like this. Sometimes one day you're this, and one day you're that. It's not either or. You're right. You're right. And that's why, in the beginning of Jewish history, before Yosef is the king, first Yehuda is the king. Then it goes to Yosef. Then it goes back to Yehuda. How do we start over the day? Moida ani lefanecha. Moida is Yehuda. How do you start off davening? Hoidu Lashem. That's Yehuda. But then as he says, you go up in Davening, you have Psukka de Zimra. He's been mentioned Psukka de Zimra here, yeah? Psuk- versus Krishna, versus Shmanastra. Right? Where did he mention Psukka de Zimra?
He didn't mention Pesukah de Zimri. He mentioned, he mentioned Tefillah. His Tachavoyish Beshmene Esra. You start off with Maidan. You start off with Haidu. You go through the songs of Pesukah de Zimri, which is the Pchin of Yosef, and you end off with Shmene Esra, where you bow down, which is silent, called the Mamadaka, which is a Doimim. But that's a Doimim that's deeper than Pesukah de Zimri, not lower than Pesukah de Zimri. So you start off with Doimim. Sometimes you're right. I can't always. I can't. My, 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 my three-year-old wants to cross the street or wants to play with a knife, I can't start explaining to him how self-actualization demands that you don't walk into Forche when there's a car, right? You have to happen by his hand. But it's not called abuse. <laughs> it's called being a responsible, normal, moral parent, not being dysfunctional, crazy, and subjecting your child to danger. But the same is true when I teach my child about Avodah Hashem. It's not chas v'shalom abuse. It's a process of education where I want to help a person come to appreciate who they really are, what their greatest values are, and what would be their greatest path for self-actualization as well, and for connecting to truth. So now you come from Yiratata, you come to Midas, what he calls from Malchus to Midas, from Bittel to Avavir, from Doimim to Tzemeach, and Tzemeach is higher than Doimim, and the Doimim is fueled from the Tzemeach. The offer is lower than the Tzemeach. In other words, the Doimim must get its nurture from Tzemeach. The reason you go out in the morning to train with him, the reason you don't need that cheesecake is because once in a while you are inspired. If you're never inspired, it won't be able to exist. Once in a while you have an awareness of what's, what feels good, what is good, and that allows you to sustain yourself even in moments when you don't feel it. That's where the daimim is makabal from the tzemeach. So this is Yosef higher than Yehuda. And there's a model in Jewish history there's the time in Jewish history when Yosef has to be the king. Yosef is higher. Yehuda is makabel from Yosef. Vayigashay, love you, Yosef is the king. Yosef is the leader. That's the way to go. Not that there's no room for Yehuda. Of course there's room for Yehuda. And sometimes you even have to start off with Yehuda. That depends. That depends on the matzav. Because if not, I won't get out of bed. I have to say, Moidani, Moida, Doimim, Moida. Moida means submission, gratitude, Moida. Hoidu Lasha. Sometimes when you start Hoidu, the heart is not there. That's why you have to start with Hoidu. This, the Balatanya says this about Hoidu. I'm not stop, uh, making this Shidduch. He says Moide, he says Hoidu, and then later you get into a moment of Zimra. For some people, the whole davening is Hoidu. And by the way, this doesn't mean a davening that is meaningless. This is a very meaningful davening. Hoidu is not meaningless. It's very meaningful. It just means that my heart still has different struggles, which is fine. Which is fine. It's not like the Jew came to the Chayz of the Lublin and he said he has Machshavazaras during davening. And the Lublin has said it's not that you have Machshavazaras during davening, it's that you're davening during your Machshavazaras. It's a different experience. And your, your passion being, field, being fueled by the domain is Mizmar Lusoda. Right. The same emerging. From yeah, the, from exactly. Mizmar Lusoda, the Mizmar that comes from Taida. And we spoke uh, the previous Maimi Rani B'Simcha about Ivdu HaSashem B'Simcha after the Boyal Lufan of Bernana, etc. The whole Pesukah de Zimna is really a meditation. Huh? The whole, the whole Pesukah de Zimna is really a meditation on making God relevant and real so that you should get excited about it. You're impressed by the snow. You're impressed by the rain. You're impressed by... Uh, by the leaves, you're impressed by the trees. So Pesukah de Zimra will identify all that with divine energy. 
It's really a meditation on lifting up the person in the Pchina of Yosef. Now comes Shemina Esra. Sometimes our whole life is... Sometimes there's elements of our life that we remain in a state of dharma, in a state of commitment. Sometimes people have certain challenges or cravings that are very, very toxic and they cannot get rid of them. They fight their whole life. And it's a very powerful life. There's a certain depth in these people that you will not find by anybody because every day they make sacrifices. And when you make sacrifices for something, you own it like nobody else. Remember, that which you don't sacrifice for, you don't own. It's a gift. That which you fight for is yours. So people who make sacrifices for certain truths, those truths are theirs more than other people. So there's a something in Daimim that is very, very unique. That's still not the Chiddush of the Maimer. <laughs> we still have to get to the punchline. I'm going to do this fast. We now come from Yosef to the next Yehuda. In other words, as we morph from the kingship of Yosef to Malchus Beis David, from Yosef to Mashiach, this is the daimim that's higher than Semeach. What is the daimim that's higher than Semeach? Ah, that's a different daimim. This is not the daimim that lacks growth because I don't feel the self-actualization. It's rather the other way. I don't feel the self-actualization because the self has become one with the truth. The self is silent not because the self feels repressed. It's because the self has reached the ultimate self. And when the self has reached the ultimate self, when the I became, becomes the violin, when the I becomes the conduit for the truth, so the self does not need self-actualization to be self-actualized because there's no distance between the self and the ultimate truth. That's the concept of what Shmaina Esra represents and that's why suddenly Shmaina Esra we go silent. Psukah de Zimra, the halacha says, should be Beshira Vizimra with Koilus. Birchus Krishna should be Bekoram. Shmaina Esra is the highlight of davening. Dalif Nemiyatoimit. This is where people should really get excited. You go to a Karlin shul, you ever go to Karlin? You ever hear davening in Karlin? You never heard? Screaming a whole davening, mamash on top of their lungs. Shmanesra, suddenly quiet. So halachically, Alpi Nigla, the reason is, you shouldn't disturb the people around you. Shmanesra, you need more kavana, you're quiet, so everybody can be mechav. The deeper reason is, because screaming represents inspiration, but distance. You're excited about it. I am excited about you, and that's why I'm hollering. It's like when I see you from far, I haven't seen you for two years, and I see you, hey! And I come to hug you. But when I hug you, when I embrace you, now there's silence. Why is there silence now? Because now you're lost in the relationship. Lost in a positive set. The relationship overtakes you. There's no I that defines the relationship. The very I is the relationship. (coughs) There was a poet in Israel, her name was Zelda. So she writes after the 67, the 6th day Yerushalayim, When I entered Yerushalayim for the first time and I saw the old city, I saw the coast, I forgot my name. I forgot my name. In other words, her name merged into the name of Knesset Yisrael. There was a seamless, there was a seamless hole. So what's the doimim of Shemina Esra? 
the doymim of Yehuda that's deeper than Yosef. It's the doymim that transcends time. It's there's no self-actualization, not because there's no self-actualization, because it's the deepest form of self-actualization where the self became completely one with the source of the self. And therefore, there's nothing conspicuous. There's nothing that stands out. There's nothing that protrudes. I become a complete conduit, a complete shliach, a complete uh, channel for the divine energy. And therefore, there's no self-actualization. Why? Not because there's suppression of self, because the self reached that ultimate state where it doesn't have to be conscious of the self in order to be. On the contrary. That's a whole deeper level of diamond. But you can't get to that space if you don't first go through the stage of Yosef being the king. Why? Why not? No, why not? Why can't you get to that higher stage if you don't first go, go through Yosef? What's the answer? Anybody? Why do you think you got, can't get to the second Yehud if you don't go through Yosef? What happened to the self? You mean it was abandoned? So what happens? Self keeps bothering you all the time. It doesn't let you be. Yeah. <laughs> there is no self. It was never dealt with. Self was never dealt with. It's still there. It's going to continue to haunt you because you never dealt with it. Right. So what happened? It could never really be truth. Huh? It could never really be truth if it's not. It's left behind. It's left behind. That's what happens. What happens is that it becomes left behind. Why is it left behind? Because it's like the instrument is broken. And the ins- that, in- that part of the instrument became broken. So you want the eye to become the instrument, but the eye has been broken. And because it's been broken... Ultimately, it could never become the Negan HaMenagin. Which means, without suppression of self, you won't even be able to achieve it. So now what happens could be something very painful. And that is... I want to open up a new can of worms, but I'll just say this. What can often happen to a person is that... When they hear about this Yehuda without Yosef, they're hearing the wrong message. (laughs) They may be hearing this message. Because you're worthless, therefore all you should be is a channel for the divine. Which means they can never be a channel for the divine. Because there's too much pain and anxiety that's disturbing it. So if I hear this, this is not, you see, this mime is not about explanations, it's about experience. If I hear this before I heard Yosef, I will experience it in the wrong way. I will tell myself, like many of us told ourselves when we were 15, we will become bottle umavutl to Hashem. Anybody had this epiphany when you were like 16 in yeshiva? You're going to become completely nullified to God. You, the Pnei Yeshua, the Chafetz Chaim, Rebbe Kiva Eger, the Vilna Gon, and whichever names your Mashgiach floats around, all in the same Madrega. Right? 
we will become completely uh the divrei okay. No problem, no problem. It's fine. You know this class includes all the gedolim. It's fine. Everyone here has a respect, equally respectable place. So, uh, you want anyone else? You want I should mention anyone else? You want me to mention Rav Cook? Who do you want me to mention? Not nice. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens is I, I mean well, but I'm hearing the wrong message. I'm hearing the wrong message because you're a horrible kid. You need to redeem your horrors by nullifying yourself. So you nullify yourself, but you didn't really nullify yourself. Your whole self has been so crushed and confined mm-hmm. that it's completely not there. It's completely trapped. Completely trapped. And you're going to come to resent it so badly. It would have been much more honest to go to the first Yehud. Doimim, Yeretata. Yes, I'm not this. I am who I am. There's a commitment here. That's good. Then you can go to Yosef. And then from Yosef, you can go to Yehuda because now you're not broken. To reach Yehuda, you, the ultimate Yehuda, you can't be broken. That's why, this is a very deep word from the Apterov, the Oy of Yisrael. Some Sofer says it a little differently. There's a Mishnah in, uh, there's a Gemara in Pesachim Lamed Hay. The only matzah on which you could fulfill the mitzvah of matzah is matzah sheyichoylo lavoy lidei chimutz. Mara learns it out from a possible circle of Chametz, Shiva, Sam Techel of Matzas. Only Matzas, Shayacha, Lover, Lede Chametz, Yachel, Kayim, Yatzas, Yatzas, Bayde, Chavis Matzas. Meaning, if I take millet or I take rice and I grind it into flour and I mix it with water, I'll have matzah. It's called millet matzah or rice matzah. It'll never become Chametz because, as Rashi says, Ainza Chametz El Sirchen. Pashat, the chemistry of it. It could rise all day. It's not chametz. It doesn't have the enzyme of chametz. So to cheder the best matzah in the world, it can't be chametz. You're not yotzer matzah. Even if you're from the Svardim and you eat rice, matzah you can't be yotzer. You can only be yotzer matzah with flour of grain, spelled uh, wheat, barley, oats, rye, where you mix with which can become chametz. Which means we create a disastrous situation because as you know, the biggest chash chametz is matzah. There's no chametz, chash chametz like matzah. But that's the only way you can be mekayim matzah. What's matzah? Matzah is bittel. Deflation. What's chametz? Inflation. The only way you can have matzah is if you can have chametz. If you can't become chametz, you can't become matzah. Why not? Because this is the truth. You can't reach Yehuda if you don't go through Yosef. That's why Yosef is not against Yehuda. Yosef is ultimately a chomet to Yehuda. Because you can't become matzah if you don't go through chomet. Because if not, it's not real matzah. What do we mean it's not real matzah? The self has not been sublimated into the oneness. There's no real oneness. It's not that I don't need self-actualization because my self became part of the divine. Rather what happens is, my self was completely left behind, bruised, wounded, and completely detached. So I'm not ready for that unity, and that unity will be fake. It won't be real. In other words, to put it in the language that we spoke about in the previous year, in the whole Chaim Potak Yeravim Benevot discussion, there are people who are subjective because they're blind. There are people who are really subjective because they're much more objective than other people. And when you're really, really, really objective, then you can afford to be really, really, really subjective. 
If you're not really, really, really objective, you should be afraid of your subjectivity. But people who claim, I will forever be objective because I don't want to be hurt and I don't want to be distorted and I don't want to lose the truth, it's not because, really, they want to remain in the truth forever. It's because they don't have the courage to be truly, truly objective. If you really have the courage to be truly, 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 truly objective, without any requirements and without any conditions, then you can trust graduating into subjectivity without losing the self. Why? Because it's not coming from repression. It's coming from from the menagen becoming a nagen which is why and here's the key the second to the last key we'll get to the last key Yosef will accept Malchus based David and it says that the two kingdoms will be one but yet David is the king but if David is the king, why is Yosef not rebelling? Why is Yosef not saying, this is not going to work? Mashiach is based David, fine. He won, I lost. No. Yecheskel says, Yosef says, I won. Yosef didn't win. David HaMelech won. Is the Pshat that when David wins, it's not a victory for David, it's a victory for Yosef. How can that be a victory for Yosef when Yosef is screaming self-actualization? The answer is, because in the Beis Hamikdash's roof, there was all stone, but inside there was Tzimeach. Why was the Tzimeach inside? Kairish took out the Tzimeach, but Shlomo put in the Tzimeach. Because Yosef is also inside David. Why is Yosef inside David? Because real Yehuda doesn't negate self-actualization. It's the ultimate self-actualization. The Tzimeach is not lost by the Doimim. In fact, the Tzimeach is a din in the Doimim. So what does this then mean? It means this. It means this. Ultimate self-actualization is self-surrender. But it also goes the other way. Ultimate self-surrender is also the ultimate self-actualization. Why? To put it in simple words, the same God who wants you to commit to Him wants you to commit to Him. He wants you. So he wants your mind, he wants your heart. If you're not going to be there with your individuality and creativity, it's a problem in Daimim. It's not only a problem in Tzimeach. That means there's no relationship with you. So the ultimate Tzimeach is in the Daimim. It's, it's a din in the Daimim. Understand this. The ultimate Daimim must include Tzimeach. Because if not, the relationship doesn't have you inside. So that's why inside the Daimim, you're going to have the tzemeach, but in the yeshiva shaloshin, it's not that the tzemeach, the doimim is a din in tzemeach, it's that the tzemeach is a din in doimim. In the first level, yiritata, tzemeach, doimim is a din in tzemeach. In other words, Yosef is the iker, but you need the doimim. In the higher level, tzemeach is also there, but the tzemeach is a din in the doimim. The ultimate relationship also includes tzemeach. you got to go back to yourself. Yeah, not back. You have to you have to include yourself. So ultimate self-expression is self-surrender. Ultimate self-surrender is self-expression. Because if the self is one with God, the true I is one with God. So this is where the two this is where the two meet. Yeravan Benavat couldn't understand that, so he went his path. And that's when Malchus Yosef God went away from Shloima. He he gave it to Yehuda. 
Yehuda, however, it wasn't working out fully. They weren't ready for that level. So they had to go back to... Now somebody yesterday called me, I should just say, told me a little bit of a daring insight. <laughs> it's completely emiss. They said, look what happened with Yehuda and Yosef. Yosef was seen as the black sheep of the family. He was thrown away. But when he had an Nisoyim with the wife of Petifar, he won. Yehuda was Doimim, the Melech. But when he had an Nisoyim with Tamar, he lost on some level. So this person told me, so you see what happens here, that sometimes it's very interesting, people who scream, Doimim, 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 sometimes because they're completely negating self-experience, they can be defeated. And Yosef, who was very loyal to the process of bringing in the self in the relationship with God, actually was morally victorious. I thought that was quite an, a telling reflection. But finally, I want to, I want to make here, ooh, I want to make here, Mamash, the last point. What's the real Chiddush of this Maimah? The real Chiddush of the Maimah is now something else that we didn't have a chance to address. But I just want to say it. I'm going to try to say it in two minutes. I'll try to explain it in terms of the cultural milieu. This Maimah was said by the Alter Rebbe, Parshas Vayichi Tovkov Samachai, 1805. And... Uh, 18, Tovkov Samachai, 1805, it was probably already the new year, either at the end of 1804, the beginning of 1805, and you have to look at the calendar. And uh, this was uh, seven years, uh, seven years after the passing of the Vilnagon, and thus the great conflict between the Mesnagdim and the Hasidim, which was primarily, targ- the Al-Tarebbe became the primary target of that conflict, because, because of reasons that are beyond this present discussion, somewhat subsided. It didn't disappear, but it somewhat subsided. At least a lot of the, the tremendous venom and the extreme hatred that subsided, somewhat. But the cultural divide was very profound. One of the key questions was, the Baal Shem Tev used to say, Rachmana Liba Boy, God wants the heart, emotion, ecstasy inspiration. He wants the heart. That's what he wants. Passion. Passion. Heritage. In, so to speak, the Lithuanian world, there was much less focus on that. And often, in the world of Hasidus, they looked at that world and they said it's robotic. It's insti- As they still say sometimes. It's institutionalized. It's cold. It's missing feeling. It's missing emotion. There's no experience of God. It's all intellectual, analytical, detached. There's no soulfulness. And this was a very big, a very big debate, a very big discussion. It seems that in this mind, without Rebbe was actually saying something very profound, and that is, Yehuda is not greater than Yosef in the future. Yehuda is greater than Yosef today. But in order to appreciate Yehuda in the future, you have to go through the process of Yosef being the king. The Yehuda of today is rooted in the Yehuda of tomorrow. It's not two Yehudas. It's just there's a Yehuda that you see on one level, and then there's a Yehuda that you see on another level. What he was arguing was this. Institutionalized religion <laughs> that so many of us have issues with. Yeah. And in many ways, the world of Hasidus was trying to heavily challenge, heavily challenge, organized, institutionalized religion. Somebody told me there was a Chabad guy, he needed a minion in his Chabad house Friday night. He had nine people, so he went out of the Chabad house, and he stopped somebody in the street, and he says, are you Jewish? He says, yeah, would you mind coming in to daven with us Friday night? The secular Jew, he says, I don't believe in organized religion. 
Marshley says, do I look organized? <laughs> so, this was, what is institutionalized religion? On the other hand, he was saying something very deep here. That for thousands of years, in many ways, you could look at Jews and their practice of Torah and Mitzvahs was in a state of doimim. What do I mean of doimim? A certain commitment. This is what we educate our children. A certain, a certain commitment. A silent commitment. But what he was saying here is that silent commitment is rooted in the highest daimim. Yire Tata is rooted in Yire Law, which means practically, when you surrender your outer instincts to an inner core value, really, on the surface, it may seem uninspiring. Why? Because you have to surrender. But you should know that deep down, what is at the core of that experience is ultimate oneness. And that itself gives a tremendous chizuk and inspiration in the process of Yiritata. Because Yiritata is Yirelah. It's rooted in Yirelah. It's a manifestation of Yirelah. Yeah, it comes out still in a state of separateness. But what allows you really to transcend the outer and go to the inner? What allows you to surrender a certain sense of self for something deeper, it's because of a tremendous oneness that you have. And therefore, don't underestimate that aspect in your life. Have a wonderful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.